Hello and welcome. I'm Marianne Fessenden from AMTS and this is the Nutritionist webinar. For our webinar this month, we'll be taking a field trip and traveling south where Marcelo Hentz-Ramos, our AMTS distributor in Brazil, will give us insight on Brazilian dairies. Marcelo obtained his veterinary degree from the Federal University of Lavras and came to the U.S. for his master's at the University of Wisconsin and his Ph.D. at the University of Missouri. Marcelo is the director of 3R Lab in Brazil as well as our hardworking distributor. Our plan was to get out on some Brazilian dairies, however, COVID restrictions made this not possible. Depending on how you're listening, you can submit queries through me or my other attending co-hosts. We'll read them and ask the presenter for you. After the webinar, the question and answers are complete. I compile, process, and upload to archived videos and podcasts available on the AMTS website under the webinar and resources tab, respectively. Please enjoy the webinar and enter questions in the Q&A tab or the chat window as you think of them. All right. Thank you much, Mary. For me, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a great presentation about Brazil. We're going to talk a little bit about overview about the country, and then we're going to dig in a little bit about agriculture, opportunities and challenges. Then we're going to move about the dairy, discuss a little bit about the dairy industry, and finally showing some data about the biggest dairy farms, the 100 biggest dairy farms in Brazil, what they do. Because one thing you're going to see in this presentation is that uh, it's a very well-structured commodity in milk production in Brazil, where few producers is responsible for a lot of milk, and a lot of producers are responsible for not much milk. So basically, we, sh we see and show for you guys a traditional dairy producer in Brazil that still did not have the opportunity to apply all the technologies, all the knowledge that is available, and increase the productivity, use the right animals, fight heat stress, and make more money, and the professional producers. These guys, they know what they're doing, they are present in Brazil, they are managers, they have business, they know how to work with people, with cows, and with crops, and they make the uh, milk, milk production system to grow. So it's a pleasure for me to be here. Again, thank you all to be here, and let's start a little bit of the outline before we move to the outline, I like to always thank people that helped me, Professor Marcos Neves Pereira from UFLA. He was my guru while I, while I went to vet school. He provided uh, some data for this presentation, so thank you so much. Uh, USDA, we are trying to get as much data as fresh as possible. Milk Point, where we have the portal, thank you Marcelo, because they have a lot of uh, very important data, and that's where I get the data for 100 most, the biggest 100 dairy producers in Brazil. Abra Leite is a very important dairy producer association, 100% dairy producer association. Uh, here is a big hug for Geraldo that did a great job for the last three years. Today, uh, a very important association that's fighting for dairy producers. And of course, from here, that uh, pushed me a lot. And finally, we're here and trying to really help you guys to understand what's happening in Brazil. Uh, and for sure, understand that we're very proud to help to feed the world. I'm going to see that uh, milk is present everywhere, and uh, we're, we're a very important player and a very proud player uh, being producing milk all over the world. Okay, here's outline. What I what I what I try to do uh, to give a little bit of understanding as deep as possible for you guys. We're going to talk a little bit of Brazil agriculture, 
first a little bit of what's Brazil but very fast and then we're gonna move to Brazil milk production like I just said before where few producers is producing a lot and a lot is producing a few typical structure of a commodity structure then we move a little bit to show what's 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 in Brazil when you think about dairy production you're gonna find exactly what you find in US for example or Canada uh, people that know what's going on know what they're doing they manage data they know exactly what you need to do and finally some challenge and opportunities we have a lot of challenges for sure you're going to discuss heat stress you're going to discuss our flint corn you're going to discuss uh, some politics that's important because it changed change the world and change our country and so forth however where you have challenges you always have opportunities there's a lots of opportunity to produce uh, milk in brazil okay before we start the overview of Brazilian agriculture, I know uh, I would like to leave a message about uh, the fine-tune of ruminant nutrition. I've been using MTS and I've been a distributor for the last seven or eight years. Uh, we have been helping a lot of nutritionists to fine-tune and work with metabolizable protein, metabolizable energy, amino acid balance, all the minerals, whatever is absorbable, uh, all the effective fiber, fermentable starch, you know, everything that uh, is available in the world and uh, Tom, Tilukin uh, and the whole team has been helping us so when you think about nutrition in Brazil we try to do the same as the whole world okay so we try to describe the environment well here we have a big challenge with heat stress we, we try to describe the animal as well we know that milk production related with uh, solids fat and protein is responsible for half of the energy of the animal, that energy of lactation, and the weight of the animal. Remember when Tom came here last time, which he needs to come back again, and it was, we're missing him, he showed distribution uh, in a pan of the weight of the animal. So these uh, variables, milk production, solids, and weight of the animal, they impact a lot of the software, of the system, the CNCPS model. In fact, milk production, in fact, impact uh, almost all the variables in the model. And of course, to do analysis so we try to follow to do to be the, as good as the best nutritionists in the world analyze the forage the pasture the the baleage the hay the corn silage whatever and with that we're going to balance we use mts to find the best diet of course most of the terms for hyperlucin cows the highest income overfeed cost and when we don't need when it can lowers cost so in terms of nutrition uh, we understand that we try to apply that so it's not different from anywhere from the world so I really try to focus on what's different in Brazil okay let's talk a little bit about the Brazil agriculture first Brazil is big it's a big country so you can see it almost fit uh, most of the countries from uh, Europe Spain French German Portugal and so forth has a lot of, of space how was Brazil colonized mainly from European people in the 60s and from the south mainly because here where the climate is very close very similar to Europe so they start to colonize and when they come of course agriculture is one of the main things and the first thing they develop here they have highly uh, developed agricultural techniques that was slowly moving forward and here is the main region of agricultural region in Brazil and most of these people that are here they came from here. They have uh, sons and grands, grandpa, grandfathers and granddads and fathers and so forth that was born here. Okay, very important because now you understand one thing. 
For example, half of Brazil is Amazon rainforest. I don't want to dig that, dig in that. I don't want to discuss that. But we have data from NASA showing that the deforestation and, and burn and everything from Amazon rainforest it reduced it in the last year. We are not trying to touch that, but it's very hard because it's very big. It's just as big. It's bigger than the challenge that a Mexican United States have with the borders. It's very, very big. So to control that, to avoid fires and so forth, is not easy. But we're trying our best. There is no grain, very, very, very few grain, meat, milk being produced here. Most of our agricultural products are produced in Cerrado region. Here, where is our, actually I am right here, right now, um, is where a place of Brazil where it gets flooded once a year. We have to move the cows and the, all the animals. Here is very, very dry. It's most of the beaches, the most of the beautiful beaches in the world are here. It's very, very dry. Uh, the government is trying to push some water up and get some desalinization water to help agriculture to grow here. Now, here you, you have the Atlantic Forest, but the industries and the processing of all the commodities it will happen here. And now uh, you're going to see the Pampa and still a lot of Atlantic uh, Forest where you still have very strong agricultural production, but we also have a lot of industry present here. This, if you want to take a, a little bit of take home in the first third of the presentation, this is a very good chart that was produced with data from all over the world. One thing that's important, if you if you look first, if you see, uh, take a look on Brazil, and uh, see this 100% of the area, you're going to see that one-fourth of the area is for pasture. Only one fourth for crops, and here I have all the crops corn, soybean, coffee you name it seven percent. And that's going to be important because you can see also sugarcane one percent and half for ethanol. That's very important because Brazil is a big, big, big player on these commodities, it's only using seven and one or one percent of the area, so it has a great opportunity to grow, and that's good for the world. Because these are areas that are agricultural areas that you can plant, they grow, they have a very soil, the soil is very fertile and it's rain. However, it's a country that preserves over 60% of the area. It's not touched. You're going to see that 24% of a conservation unit, 16% of protect areas, and 25% in native areas. So one thing about Brazil. We still have a lot of space and area that we can plant that we did not plant. However, with a very small area, we are producing a lot of food for the world. And this chart is going to summarize. I don't want to go over all over it. But if you look in the number inside the cycle, it's a black circle. You're going to see uh, the Brazil ranking in the world production. So Brazil is number one production in sugar. Brazil is number one, uh, is number one production in coffee. Brazil is number two production in soybean. The second country in the world that produces most beef. Then third in chicken, third in corn, fourth in pork, and fifth in cotton. So when you look at the world, and we're going to talk about that, if you consider the world just one country, Brazil is the place where the food is being produced. One thing that's unique about Brazil. And it's very important for everybody to understand. We can grow three 
crops in a year in the same area. That's very important. Let's say we're going to start with the rainy season. You can plant soybean, September, October. And when you take soybean out, you can plant corn, in the, that we call safrinha. We still have some rain, but not much rain as we have for the soybean. So soybean was just took off the, the, out of the land, and then we plant corn. And then we take the corn out for grain or silage, whatever you want, and you plant wheat in the middle during the wheating during the winter. So, in the same area, in the same year, you have three crops. This is very common. You're going to be harvest one culture, for example, soybean, and few meters behind, you're going to be planting corn, or vice versa. Very important. We use no tillage system for a long time. So, it's if, if you see here straw that's left in the field after we harvest soybean, we will plant right there. We don't do any tillage after that. So it's fast, it's important, hold more water, and a lot of other things. And after you take this corn, you can plant wheat. Uh, plant wheat. And this wheat can be used for 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 mainly for grain, but if you want you can do billage, you can do forage, you want you wanna do whatever you wanna do. One of the important things is how fast uh, agricultural commodity grow in Brazil. Taking a look, for example, looking at Brazil with this blue line, United States and Australia, in terms of beef cattle evolution from 2000 to 2015. See, the growth, the rate of growth is very, very big. Why? Because there is a market for that. When, and then when the producers see an opportunity to grow, like I'm going to show for you guys in top 100 producers, they will invest. They will apply money, depending on the politic, polit, politic system. Now it's more stable, but it was not stable, but showing a great opportunity here to grow. If you talk about the 10 biggest large meat industries in the world, you're going to see the number one is Brazilian, JBS, the number fourth is Brazilian, BRF, and the number seven is Brazilian, uh, Marfrig. So we have three of the top 10 beef uh, industries, processors in the world. That meaning that there's a lot of meat being produced here. What's the overview of this part? Because that's not the focus of the presentation, but you need this background to understand what I'm going to tell later. Brazil is big, has a lot of land, and it's still a lot of land that's available to agriculture. So we can still plant and grow commodities there. Brazil is a big player, most of the commodities. There is, the use of land is becoming more and more efficient. All the technology that you see in the world is available to Brazilian farms. We can do three crops in a year. That's very inter interesting. You can plant three times in the same place. And one thing that uh, a farm in Brazil knows, they need to preserve a certain area on their farm. They cannot plant on 100% of the farm. And that includes a place where it's called Amazon, where it's almost untouchable. We don't plant there. We don't uh, mess with there. It's an area that we understand that needs to be preserved. Milk production. Then we start digging a little bit more about what's the topic of this presentation. Just like I said, it's a system where few very uh, professional uh, producers will produce a lot, and a lot of them still need the help, the education, the, 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 the investment a little bit to get better, to get bigger. And that's what we try to do with education. So when you, now that you understand the Brazilian map, 
you're going to see that the milk in Brazil is in the central region down. Okay, central region down. Mainly in the southeast region. For example, Minas Gerais, it's where almost half of the milk is produced. Minas Gerais would consider Wisconsin, United States. Almost like Wisconsin. Everything is about milk. It's a very important place, state, where the milk is being produced. And the south of Brazil is where the milk is growing a lot, is growing fast. For a lot of reasons that we can talk later. So when you talk about Minas Gerais, you know, it's a state that uh, is traditional uh, in terms of milk production, cheese, yogurts, and all the byproducts that you can see. Paraná, Rio Grande do Sul, São Paulo, Santa Catarina, they're all cities, they're all states in the region that I mentioned in the last slide. One thing about Brazil, and uh, important in some countries in the world, but it's, it's also very important and present in Brazil, is seasonality. So when you see the raining season, the pastures start to grow and the animals will produce more milk. And when you see the dry season, is the other way around. So milk production goes down. What creates a system where we have more milk, that you get paid less. And when you have less milk, you get paid more. That's the usual system. So uh, right now that we are in April, it's in the end of the rainy season. So the tendency is for the milk price to start increasing a little bit. But this year and the last year because of COVID-19 is very, very outlier. It's out of the main trend here because of the corn price, because of soybean price, everything is different. But due to uh, seasonality, the structure of the milk price in Brazil, I just showed to you. All right, let's start talking a little bit of things that we like. What kind of breeds? that are used in Brazil, mainly hosting. Okay, you can see the hosting is the number one and a cross bed between the gear, that's as boss indicus, with hosting, that's a boss tower that we call Girolando and I'm gonna show to you guys. What kind of seeming the Brazilian dairy producers buy? You can see in the blue bar right here, mainly hosting. Okay, and the hosting comes from US, Canada, and Netherlands. Of course, we buy some Jersey semen too, but Jersey is not very important breed in Brazil. Talk about their producers or uh, plant producers. You can see we have a lot of them. There is a lot of investment going on here, a lot of new products being developed, but it's dominated uh, by three or four of them. Uh, and that has a very important very important um, structure on the price of milk. Uh, I don't want to discuss about that here, but if that was more, we have more industry here, uh, take, taking a little bit uh, bigger to slice of this pizza, the price of milk would be easier to handle. Okay? One day that I just got from USDA uh, the last week is that the number of heads of animals that are being milked in Brazil. They consider 16 million heads. But when you talk, when you make a project and want to sell, want to see how much product you can sell in Brazil, usually talk to 2 million heads. So if you want to bring products through to Brazil to sell to the dairy, uh, cows, with the base number is 2 million, maybe 3 million, 2 million and a half. 16 million are going to be a lot of cows that are not specialized. One thing, and I apologize, some of the slides are still in Portuguese. Uh, I tried to get the best that I could. 
and still keep them uh, fresh. Here is the percentage of the farms in US that happened in 2012 and they how much milk they produce. So 6% of the farm produce more than half of the milk. 6% of the farm produce more than half of the milk. And we told and we knew that was going to happen in Brazil and did. Now, this uh, the newer data would show this number even lower. 16% of the farms in Brazil produce more than half of the milk. These are the specialized guys. More than a thousand for sure more than a thousand liters per day for sure more than a thousand liters per day so you can see all kinds of products for whoever likes milk all kinds of milk milk with a2 now it's a different protein for people that has a, a, a challenge a chocolate milk not chocolate milk, cheese all kinds of cheese all kinds of cheese anything you want uh, you can go to the market you can walk you can see uh, cities and travel and you're gonna see all kinds of things coming from milk yogurt all over and one thing that's important and I'm gonna to explain to you guys how we get paid by milk mainly by volume okay we don't get paid by solids but we get discount a lot by quality so here is bacterium cow the graded bacterium cow less you get per kilo or liter here's some axial cow of course you get discounted we try to pass a lot to have a minimum amount and move forward but we still have has a lot to do and here is uh, the bonus that you can get for protein and fat however there's one only one milk processor what I'm trying to, to show for you guys is that most of the farmers in Brazil they just get paid by volume there is a minimum amount of fat there is a minimum amount of protein but this system is not applied it's very good that you have some uh, milk processor that, that apply this season so what's the take home about that first every city in brazil has at least one their producer it's common to see milk produces everywhere in brazil there are two main breeds hosting and the crossbred that you're going to see a lot in brazil we have a milk price seasonality that's going to happen every year for a lot of reasons it's 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 kind of getting better because of the compost barn but there is still a seasonality and uh, there is still a price system that mainly on volume, not still on solids. And then I had the opportunity to wait a little bit for this presentation because I wanted the data from the top 100 they produced to be released and it was released just last about last week. So I would like to thank Marcelo Pereira is the owner of this website, Milk Point, and they do a great job every year. They go to, they get a bunch of data. You're gonna see. I'm gonna present for you guys this data, and they get data from the 100 biggest dairy producers in Brazil, and that's what I'm, I'm gonna show for you guys of uh, the last year, 2020. Now that's the main focus of presentation. We can slow down a little bit and really talk about cow. If you go to Brazil, and you're gonna see the specialized cow where the most of the milkers are coming from you're gonna see black and white animals you're gonna see hosting so basically you can paint the milk from brazil uh, with black and white the main facility you're gonna see is the freestyle this is this facility that uh, it is very common when you confine animals now we have the compost barn but it's present 
And one thing is almost like behind the scenes. When you see the cows, you don't see how much work, how much error, how much agricultural work is needed behind of the scenes to make it happen. For sure, the forage, it, it, it is produced in the farm. Most of them will not buy, uh, so they need to produce forage. And there are some of them, a lot of them, they produce high moisture corn. Not very common to produce their own soybean. They'll buy in the market. So... It's a lot of things happen behind the scenes for this milk to be produced. In terms of technology, everything that you see in the world, robots, milk system, uh, extractor, anything, everything, it's available and easy in use for Brazilian dairy farms. One thing that I would like to slow down a little bit. These are the 50 or the 40th uh, biggest dairy farms in Brazil. That's fresh. That's from last year. The biggest one is Fazenda Colorado. This, this farm today is producing 80,000 liters of milk per day. Let me just give you a, a, an overview. I went to grad to veterinary school and I finished that in 2002. 2002, almost 20 years ago, a big farm produced 1,000 liters per day. 1,000 liters per day. 20 years later, that thing became 80, 80 times bigger. So when you told Brazilian farms that US farmers were getting bigger, more efficient, they need to because of the margin and a lot of other things, they kind of opened their eyes and they saw it and they knew they also need to get bigger. So you have uh, these farms are producing a lot, but a lot of milk. And one thing they're going to see, they want to grow. They're making money. So they want to grow. That's, that's really, really good. This is the number one dairy farm in Brazil, uh, Colorado. It's uh, for, the, for the heifer, for the grow, it's an open freestyle. And for the animals, you're going to see is a tunnel ventilation for carousel. So just uh, 80,000 liters per day. Grazing is present in Brazil. Actually, is the most common way to get cows uh, to produce milk, is grazing. Because it's easier. You just lead the animals there and give some concentrate, they produce milk. However, in the 100 biggest dairy producers in, in Brazil, it's not very important. Okay, Traditionally, it's very important. You're going to see a lot of grazing cows in Brazil. But in the volume, you're going to see that the volume, uh, most, a big chunk of that is going to come from and animals that are confined mainly on freestyle and compost farm. That's the thing that's interesting. If you get the milk production for these top 100 dairy farms, year by year, they are growing. And that's good. It's, it, it's making me happy to see because they're growing, they're making money, they want to invest, they generate jobs, they produce one of the most important food in the world. That's milk. Milk is using is used in almost in a bunch of products so very good technology it's available robots uh, carousel you name it whatever one thing that become more uh, in the recent years due to some challenge with our energy system that's still not very good it's solar energy so a lot of farms are using solar panels to help to generate mm, a bunch of their energy, also biogas. Biogas is being used a lot. And that's the thing that's important. Well, if, when you look at the top 100 growth compared to the 
the average or the total production, they're growing more. Why? Well, because they have better management, because they study, they apply better techniques, they do use software for, for to balance diets. A lot of them actually use AMTS. They pay attention, they do have a good crop, they know about people, they buy well, they sell well. That's a big thing in Brazil. And I think all over the world, the more you produce, you get a bonus. So to be good in anything, it pays back. You can see that they are growing. Here's Girando. It's a crossbred between a Holstein and a Gur. This animal, this breed, you're going to see that a lot in Brazil. Usually, the, 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 the mom is a Gur, okay? is a Bozindicus. And the seeming, most of it, the seeming is hosting. So you make this F1, this F1. They're very good animals, okay? And why they are used a lot, why they grow a lot in Brazil? Because you can leave them and they graze and they produce milk in almost any kind of situation. Good animals can be docile animals, uh, and it's important in our structure of milk production in Brazil today. It is present in the top 100, but the most common breed is still black and white hosting. Just like I said, if you visit the big dairy farms in Brazil, it's just like you're walking in Canada or, or in a freestyle in the United States. It's just like exactly like I said at the beginning of the presentation. We look for the same things. Like I did an analogy about the effective fiber, metabolized protein, and amino acids. Here's the same. They know the space, bunk space, light feed management, how many times, and so forth. So it's a, it's, it's very similar to what you see uh, in the US. Carousel, robots, uh, very worried about heat stress. It's, it's all present here uh, in Brazil. Here's again the number one deer farm. It's uh, Colorado. It's a tuna ventilation, and in the end, they have a carousel. This farm, they uh, you can see the, the, the name of the milk here, the brand of the milk. They produce their own milk. And it's very good milk, we're very proud that they have very good milk in Brazil and they sell uh, for a lot of places in Brazil. So they're growing a lot and make me happy to see. Now, there's a, there's a difference between the average daily milk production by region. If you look, for example, in the northeast where the beaks are, where they don't have a lot of rain, if they, are if they, are <laughs> if they have a chance, they, crop, they, have, they can make a crop per year. If they get a little bit of rain, you can see the milk production per cow. When you look at the average of Brazil, at because here they talk just looking at the one the top 100, is very good. Because if you look at the average of Brazil, <coughs> it's gonna be like six seven liters. It's very very low. But when you took a look at the top 100, is almost half of what's happened, for example, in the south of Brazil. And I just like to like. When I grad, when I finished vet school, uh, the a good average in the farm it was 20, 20 liters per cow per day. Today, 30s and 40s. For sure, we can we can bring the 40 40 kilo average is a good average. 30 is not anymore. But keep in mind that here you have a lot of cows. Okay. It's easy to have a higher average when you have less cows. When you have big, when you have these big dairies, uh, it's kind of become a little bit harder. But one thing that I need to talk about is not average, but lactation. How much they're producing lactation? When you look at the south, this is Brazil top 100. 
10,000 kilos. This is Brazil top 100. It's a very high number. It does not represent Brazil. Okay? If you look the average of Brazil, maybe 3,000. It's low. It's almost like two scenarios, a professional and the one that need help. It's, it's, uh, we are, we're helping. But when you look at the south one, 13,000 kilos, it's a lot of milk. Okay, it's a lot of milk. And go back to the north, northeast, or northeast, here where you have the crossbred, here where we have the big challenge of this missing rain, a big challenge of food, and they still produce milk. But they will not have the long lactation as a hosting over here. Here is the hosting that we have. You're going to see uh, excellent genetics. You're going to see excellent cows. Very good, excellent cows uh, in, in these farms in Brazil. And here on a number, it, I know is in real. One real today is 5.5 5 .5 real is equal to a dollar. Okay? Uh, it's income over feed cost. So you see that income over feed cost is a very good number too that we look when it balance, balance diet. It's it's it it did grow. Okay, uh, I don't know if they have inflation here or not, but it's just a, a, a general number. But it shows the opportunity to make money uh, milking cows. Now one thing they also show they they have the numbers. So they know the milk the cost of milk. It's a yeah average of the year. So also the price they get paid varies, but because of last year of COVID-19 has a lot of challenges, I show you a chart, and because they produce a lot of good milk, I know that they should be getting at least two reels per liter. So you can see that uh, more than half of them, uh, you take a look at the uh, cost of production here, 1.7, 30 cent. But if you take a look at the cost of production, 130, or 40% of them, they make 70 cents. Uh, remember, it's 5.5 uh, real for $1 per cow per day. It's a good margin. That's why they want to grow. And now they will grow because we have a better government to help us. This is a discussion that we have since I went to school. And it's not going to end because we see discussion from China, Israel, Europe, Canada, US, Brazil, Argentina. Of course, when you produce milk in a pasture system, it's the cost of production can be lower. Okay? There's no doubt of that. However, the volume, the milk production of these cows usually is also lower. So whatever you leave as a profit in general, and I don't want to say what's right, what's wrong, but in general is lower than if you confine these animals in a freestyle, in a compost barn that increase the cost of production, but you also increase the production. Okay, uh, it's just a, there's some numbers for here for you to guys to see and, and compare. I don't want to discuss that. These are just data. They are there, showing that for for sure, 67% of the farms of one top 100, they do not use grazing as the main forage. The main forage. To pro for the, this 100 dairy farms is corn silage is the most important forage that we have to produce milk in Brazil but grazing is present you're going to see some grazing a lot of grazing in Brazil and a few of them in the, in the top 100 main facilities just like we said freestyle half of that in the top 100 and become very common compost barn and you can even close that and make a Tunnel ventilation or cross ventilation, or just leave as a compost pack.
just like I said, here's the picture of Compost Bar. This facility changed the industry of Brazil. To have an idea, an average farm saw an increase of six, five liters per cow per day, just moving the cows from the pasture, from the mud, from the bugs, from the sun, from the lack of water, to here, to discomfort, you know, the time budget of an animal, the time that the cows can really lay down, ruminate, and produce milk. Actually, there's a new tool in the MTS, uh, the management tool, that correlates with really all of the, the work that Don't Look did with uh, Rick Grant, with how much time the cows stay laid down and how much milk is being produced. Like I said, main breed, hosting, okay? And Girlando is the second one. It's a crossbred between both. And a very make me very happy because if the, the, the any industry, any business not make money, you don't want to grow. But if you look at the... Uh, from 43% up to 34, more 70, 80% of them, they want to grow at least 20% next year. And some of them want to grow 50%. So that's very good. In the scenario that we are, unfortunately, in the scenario that we still have COVID-19 present, they are looking forward to grow because things are good. That's like uh, I said before, there's a tunnel ventilation in a farm at the top of 100. Uh, so the idea is to pass the, the the wind here. That's why they have the block so the wind can go down and actually pass the wind through the cows and take this heat out in the last in, in the other side of the barn. Growing calves. Uh, most common system is not this system. This system is called we call the Argentinian system. Uh, we have uh, it's not like a group. They they have almost like the individual. It was adopted in Brazil uh, for a lot of farms. Very good, can work very well. However, the most common system is still their little house. Okay, but why it can be open? Because we don't have snow in Brazil, and that to protect from the sun and that to protect from the rain that uh, really impact uh, calf development here. However, after we come with the automatic feedings, grouping. Since milking, grouping, since their calves become very common. So, uh, not only when they're growing, but since their calf, there are also uh, a lot of farms that do not use this little house anymore. They're starting to group uh, these animals. Okay, so what's the take home message for this 100 top 100 they reproduce? These guys know what they're doing, they have technology, they have genetics, they have managed, they know people, just let it work, they will grow. Another thing that we saw is that freestyle and compost barn are where the milk is being produced. It's not grazing. They're confined animal with corn silage, the main source of forage. All the technology that's present in the world, it is available to them. And uh, one thing that makes me really happy is that it makes their money to produce milk. That's a very important food. Very good because they will grow. Okay. Uh, and almost to finish here, what are some challenges and opportunities to produce milk in Brazil? Of course, uh, every challenge gives you an opportunity. And I think I need to, to finish that showing that uh, it's really not easy to have a business in Brazil. Any, any business. Because of their government. The, the history of our government is to tax us a lot. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, there is a new law. All of a sudden, there is somebody asking for a new stamp. 
uh, and things change really fast. So it's not easy to be to have a business in Brazil. Not only producing milk, but you have a supermarket, you have anything. It, it it's hard. Okay, we are under uh, a lot of tax situation, uh, and we're gonna show you uh, that it changed a lot because in the last 13 years. In the last 13 years, and there is all data all over showing that the, there is a there's a party in Brazil that's called PT, and they, 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 they if you look at the translations, the works party is the left party that uh, is considered the most corrupt time. They stole the most amount of money since the history of capitalism in the world. Think about that. They stole a lot of money. If they continue in the power, but we change, unfortunately, and it was really sad for me to say that, Brazil would be in the way to become a Venezuela, and maybe a Cuba, or maybe a North Korea. Unfortunately, that what's happened for really good friends, Argentina, that not did have uh, the opportunity or the chance to change their government to be an honest government. Because uh, we will be very happy to pay tax if this money come back to us. That is very important. There's a money up there. One big challenge, I think, with any commodity, but uh, specifically for milk, is import and export. That changes a lot. This fight is being is a big fight for the Abraleite. Geraldo, the Brazilian Association, is doing a great job. Our Minister of Agriculture is doing a great job. But if you look at our Minister of Economy, it, it, for him, the word's flat. It's just it's one. There is one country in the world we need, and he's opening the Brazil to make business with everybody. Because uh, when we make business, our GDP grows. Heat stress. Think about it. If you take the animal out of the heat stress, you give them comfort, give them opportunity to be milked, you increase six, seven, five liters in a cow per day. There is no technology, there is no mineral, there is no additive, there is no anything that you can do to increase that much milk production. So heat stress is a big challenge to produce milk in Brazil. Our cows produce a lot of milk, but we learn. And that change the structure, that change the pricing, and that change the season a little bit, because during the hot season, we would have uh, a, 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 a great amount of milk being produced, but now it's even greater. So we have a surplus of milk that we need to understand what to do. And that's why a lot of these farms are trying to do their own milk, they're trying to dry milk, they're trying to work around. But that's good, because we said a lot of um, uh, milk that's been producing due to the fight with heat stress. Corn is our main source of starch. Period. Coming from corn starch or come from corn grain. However, our corn is flint. It has more prolamine. The digestibility is way lower than the corn in US. Okay? Uh, that's why it gives us less nutrient or less uh, starch being uh, absorbed, less fermentable starch. It's harder to produce uh, milk because the same amount of corn starch will not produce the same amount of milk in US and in Brazil because we have a really tough time breaking that prolamine structure and make that available to the to the rumen. Time of in silo, 
the, the time that this feed stay in silo, eat the corn silage or the high moisture corn, helps a lot break this problem and increase the seven hour start digestibility from 50% to 70%. That I got some data from uh, Ferrareto showing that. I did not want to go deep on that, but one of the technologies that help us is the time that they stay inside a silo. Opportunities. Now, and a big right. Uh, uh, a guy that's a, in terms of politics on the right side, we have a guy that's honest. He put his team of uh, to work together for Brazil, and is really helping Brazil. So we're really proud. One of the first times in my life that I'm proud to have a Brazilian flag and and to sing our song because uh, now things are. That's why even with the COVID-19 scenario, a lot of these milk producers, they, are, they want to invest more because they know that now the government is good. The government is going to help. And, and that's uh, just like a background to grow your business. Another thing, land. Land is not a problem. We use 8-70% of the land in Brazil to grow our crops. So we have a lot of space of land that can be agricultural. It's not land that's just rocks or you cannot plant anything. Most of it, 95% of it, you can plant things there. So it's not a problem. Commodity is not a problem because we produce a lot of corn. We produce a lot of soybean. However, the challenge is, is that the word buy from us. And even if it's produced here, we sell uh, uh, outside from outside of Brazil. And one thing, uh, whoever had the opportunity to read that book, the word is flat. Uh, he said right there that if the world was one country, China would be where the things would be produced, U.S. would be the brain, and Brazil would be where the food is being produced. And that's reality. I think this book has like 10 years. I was still in grad school in the United States at 10 years, and that's real. You see the most 90, 80, 85, 90% of technologies is being produced in Silicon Valley, United States. Almost everything that you think about in your life is being produced in China. And the food is where, where it can be produced and where it can still grow. Because we can still explore productivity that can grow a lot. Our numbers are not the best when you compare it to Israel, when you compare it to Canada, when you compare it to U.S. Uh, the lactation, a lot of things, uh, days in milk and stuff for that. So the food, it is being produced here. Take home message, Brazil is a big player. It, it makes us proud because we want to help to feed, uh, to feed this world. In terms of commodity, if you think about the corn, soybean, coffee, meat, chicken, uh, swine, whatever you name it. We are number one or number two or number three and growing fast. And we can still have space to grow. Milk is like a traditional thing in Brazil. It's being produced everywhere. Every city has one, at least one people, that, uh, one person that's producing milk. The top 100 dairies in Brazil, it's a farm that you can visit. And it's going to be very similar to whatever in the United States. You have United States. And they want to grow. That makes us... Very happy. Our government now is on our side. That makes things uh, really, really exciting. So I really would like to thank again uh, Dr. Marcos Neves Pereira. He was uh, my advisor when I was in veterinary school. He 
really helped me a lot to start to understand the ruminant nutrition. He's a very important guy for the Brazilian dairy industry. I'd like to thank USDA for all the data. These guys are wonderful. Milk Point for providing the data for our top 100 dairy producers. They have a lot of good data there. So, Marcelo, thank you. Uh, one guy, uh, one association that's Abraleite, that's only producers, milk producers, only milk producers can participate. There's nobody from the industry. Now they have three, four at most, four years. And there is association with more numbers in Brazil. Number one or number two? I don't remember. <clears throat> Geraldo, it is the president, and he stays in Brasilia, our, the capital. Our capital is over there. So... Uh, he's fighting for to import, he's fighting to uh, get stamps from cheese, he's fighting to uh, have decreased the taxes to import new technologies. This association is very important for the Brazilian dairy industry. And of course, uh, Marion uh, helped me almost on a daily basis. Uh, we start a course, uh, an MTS course in Brazil, it's doing very well, she's helped me a lot. People are learning and understanding how to use MTS. And uh, they get a couple months, a couple months free to use the software. And the idea is they learn and they apply and they make this productivity of these farms to grow. Uh, because everybody will make money. So thank you Mary so much. And of course all the MTS team, uh, MTS team, you've been with them for the last 10 years, 9 years, and to me, it's been a, a, a very a proud to be a part of the team. Well, I hope I, um, I help you in these 50 minutes to understand a little bit about Brazil, to understand a little bit about the agricultural part. Brazil is a big farm. Brazil is a big farm, period. To understand how much and how is milk being produced, the big chunk of that you can plant back black and white is come from confinement and people that understand about management, people, cow and uh, environment because they know how to fight heat stress. Okay, with that, I'd like to thank you all. Have an excellent day and I'll be here to try to answer some questions. Thank you. Beard coming from corn silage or come from corn grain. However, our corn is flint. It has more prolamine. The digestibility is way lower than the corn in U.S. Okay, uh, that's why it gives you less nutrient or less uh, starch being uh, absorbed, less ferment per starch. It's harder to produce uh, milk because the same amount of corn silage will not produce the same amount of milk in U.S. and in Brazil because we have a really tough time breaking that prolamine structure and make that available to the, to the rumen. Time of in silo, the, the time that this feed stay in silo, either the corn silage or the high moisture corn, helps a lot break this prolamine and increase the seven hour start digestibility from 50% to 70%. I got some data from uh, Ferrareto showing that. I did, wanna, did not want to go deep on that, but one of the technologies that help us is the time that they stay inside a silo. Opportunities. Now, and a big right, uh, uh, a guy that's a, in terms of politics on the right side, we have a guy that's honest. He put his team of, uh, to work together for Brazil and is really helping Brazil. So we're really proud. One of the first time in my life that I'm proud to have a Brazilian flag and, and to sing our song because... Uh, 
now things are that's why even with the COVID nineteen scenario, a lot of these milk producers they are they want to invest more because they know that now the government's good, the government's gonna help and, and that's uh, just like a background to grow your business. Another thing, land. Land is not a problem. We use eight, seventy percent of the land in Brazil to grow our crops. So we have a lot of space of land that can be agricultural. It's not land that's just rocks or you cannot plant anything. Most of it, 95% of it, you can plant things there. So it's not a problem. Commodity is not a problem because we produce a lot of corn. We produce a lot of soybean. However, the challenge is, is that the world buy from us. And even if it's produced here, we sell uh, uh, outside from outside of Brazil. And one thing, uh, whoever had the opportunity to read that book, The World is Flat, uh, he said right there that if the world was one country, China would be where the things would be produced, U.S. would be the brain, and Brazil would be where the food is being produced. And that's reality. I think this book has like 10 years. I was still in grad school in the United States. Like 10 years. And that's real. You see the most 90, 80, 85, 90% of technology is being produced in Silicon Valley, United States. Almost everything that you think about in your life is being produced in China. And the food is where, where it can be produced and where it can still grow because we can still explore productivity that can grow a lot. Our numbers are not the best when you compare it to Israel, when you compare it to Canada, when you compare it to U.S., uh, the lactation, a lot of things. Uh, days in milk and st stuff for that. So the food, it is being produced here. Take home message, Brazil is a big player. It, it makes us proud because we want to help to feed, uh, to feed this world. In terms of commodity, if you think about the corn, soybean, coffee, meat, chicken, uh, swine, whatever you name it. We are number one or number two or number three and growing fast. And we can still have space to grow. Milk is like a traditional thing in Brazil. It's being produced everywhere. Every city has one, at least one people, that uh, one person that's producing milk. The top 100 dairies in Brazil, it's a farm that you can visit. And it's going to be very similar to whatever in the United States. You have in the United States. And they want to grow. That makes us very happy. Our government now is on our side. That makes things uh, really, really exciting. So I really would like to thank again uh, Dr. Marcos Neves Pereira. He was uh, my advisor when I was in veterinary school. He really helped me a lot to start to understand the ruminant nutrition. He's a very important guy for the Brazilian dairy industry. I'd like to thank USDA for all the data. These guys are wonderful. Milk Point for providing the data for our top 100 their producers. They have a lot of good data there. So, Marcelo, thank you. Uh, one guy, uh, one association that's Abraleite, that's only producers, milk producers. Only milk producers can participate. There's nobody from the industry. Now they have three, four, at most four years. And there is an association with more numbers in Brazil. Number one or number two? I don't remember. <clears throat> Geraldo, it is the president, and he stays in Brasilia. Our, the capital, our capital is over there. So 
Uh, he's fighting for to import. He's fighting to uh, get stamps from cheese. He's fighting to uh, have decreased the taxes to import new technologies. This association is very important for the Brazilian their industry. And of course, uh, Mario uh, helped me almost on a daily basis. Uh, we start a course, uh, an MTS course in Brazil. It's doing very well. She's helped me a lot. People are learning and understanding how to use MTS, and uh, they get a couple months, a couple months free to use the software. And the idea is they learn and they apply and they make this productivity of these farms to grow uh, because everybody will make money. So thank you, Mary, so much. And of course, all the MTS team, uh, MTS team, you've been with them for the last 10 years, nine years. And to me, it's been a, a, a very a proud to be a part of the team. Well, I hope I, um, I help you in these 50 minutes to understand a little bit about Brazil, to understand a little bit about the agricultural part. Brazil is a big farm. Brazil is a big farm, period. To understand how much and how is milk being produced, the big chunk of that you can plant back black and white is come from confinement and people that understand about management, people, cow, and uh, environment because they know how to fight heat stress. Okay? With that, I'd like to thank you all. Have an excellent day and I'll be here to try to answer some questions. Thank you. Before we get started with your questions, I want to introduce next month's seminar. The and a special webinar series that we're hold, holding, my co-hosts and this year's sponsors. For our next webinar, we're going to travel back north for a presentation by Dr. Vadim Bakchevnikov, our distributor in Russia. Vadim has received his DVM from Don State University and Periovsky Rov, Rov, I'm just killing these, Rostov Oblast. He is one of the busiest people I know, in addition to acting as our distributor in Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, Vadim manages Nova Lab, a Cumberland Valley affiliates associate, and manages and consults on dairies in Russia, Ukraine, and here in the U.S. for Beaver Creek, an 8,000 cow dairy in Michigan. Marcelo, unfortunately, was not able to travel to farms in Brazil. Um, as he mentioned, and if you're following the news, you know that presently Brazil is experiencing severe COVID infections and is under extreme lockdown. With Vadim's webinar, we'll have the chance to tour Russian and Ukraine dairies. He said he has already done some um, videotaping and Beaver Creek as well. So join us next month on the 13th at 9 and 6. Additional featured webinars this spring will focus on sheep nutrition. Our first speaker in, the, in March was Masood Anun, one of the founders and the present director of Adina. He gave an excellent talk on lamb fattening in Europe. In our second webinar is April 15th with Philippe Hassoun, that is next Thursday, from INRA in France. And that will focus on milk sheep in the French tradition. We will wrap up our sheep feeding sequence on May 20th with a discussion from John Winchell of Alltech. John has been a longtime AMTS Pro user and has been working most recently with our small ruminants model. John's going to be taking some of the information we learned in the first two webinars 
and demonstrating how he applies them in the program. We are very pleased to have John join us as a co-host for the, these first two webinars. And in that first webinar, he asked a, a lot of really good questions given his experience. Um, email me at webinars at Ag Model Systems to sign up for any of these webinars. As you know, these webinars take a lot of work and cooperation. The webinars are organized and produced by AMTS, USA and Global. We were joined this morning in our webinar by Elena Bonfante of AMT, our AMTS Italian distributor and partner in dairy innovations and Bill Prokop. Elena informed me that she was gonna be a little late. So Bill is standing in for her mostly. We also have our distributor in Turkey, Dr. Hudai Kavustaran, and he is also our, he is going to be joining, he has joined us for this morning. In the evening, we are usually joined by Paula Torillo of Afina and also our distributors in China, Sean Lee and Vadim Bekchevnikov in Russia. We're especially grateful to the sponsors, the generous sponsors who make it possible for us to get great speakers and manage the program. We thank our gold sponsor, Arm & Hammer, Animal and Food Production, hashtag science hearted, the Canola Council of Canada. Learn more about feeding canola at canolaamazing.com. Adina, experts in animal nutrition with expertise in plant bioactives and Proteca, transforming the future of, the fa of farm animal health. Our silver sponsors are Ajinomoto, superior nutrition through amino acids and Virtus, both of whom have sponsored us from the start. Also, the Forage Analysis Labs of Dairyland Laboratories and Dairy One, both have affiliates around the world. Adaseo, Ruminant Nutrition Solutions to ensure animal performance and micronutrients feeding the future. Our bronze sponsors this year are Amino Max, Purdue Agribusiness, Origination Inc., Phileo, Balchem, and The Milk Group. Each of these companies support education and research worldwide. We hope that you consider them for your formulation decisions. So now I am going to ask my co-hosts to open up their mics and say hello. And we are also joined by Tom Taluki and Lynn Gilbert of AMTS. Tom has traveled to Brazil several times. So um, hopefully he'll be able to ask some really good questions of Marcelo or point some things out. And Lynn and I both work with our Brazilian, um, our Brazilian workers. So everybody, hi, Marcelo, can you hear and speak okay? Uh, yes, good morning. Our guys. Good morning. Thank you. How about good you? Good morning, Hadai. Good morning, Thank Bill. You. All right. Um, I am asking people to put questions in the chat window and also um, in the question window if you have any. But right now, if this doesn't put people too much on the spot, um, we have started this tradition of sort of Bill and Tom and the, the speaker, which would be Marcelo at this point, sort of exchanging a little bit of, of, um, of talk on some of the points that the speaker <laughs> made. First of all, Marcelo, what an extra, excellent um, introduction and coverage of the, the Brazilian dairy industry. We all really enjoyed it. 
Um, to remind you, Marcelo, if you want me to go to any certain slides, just let me know. I'm going to now go to the sorting, the view, so that you can tell me which slide to go to. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes, very good. Yeah. Marco, right. good morning or good afternoon or good evening. I don't know which part of the world you are, <laughs> but uh, it's a great, great pleasure for me to be here. I'm part of the MTS team for, I don't know, 10 years. And uh, it's been a pleasure of every single year. It's a great company, it's a great software. They really develop a great tools for their producers. And uh, we have been using that for a long time, having applied science, specifically in deep science in farms. Uh, so to me, it's a great pleasure to be here. Tom has helped me since the beginning. Tom knows a lot of Brazilians, the challenges, the heat stress, the corn, uh, the management, and so far. So uh, what I try to do in this presentation, because I know that you guys are come from different backgrounds, is just to explain what is Brazil in terms of uh, how big it is, how things are done here. It's really a powerful place to grow crops and animals need to eat something. So uh, we need to produce something. And then I try to dig in a little bit about the dairy industry. <clears throat> the dairy industry is very similar to the beef industry, for example, where you're gonna see people that are raising cattle on pasture, that they don't fertilize, that they don't do anything, they don't, they don't get even closer to get on calf from a, a, babe, a cow, a beef cow. And uh, so it's very, not so good. They did not have the opportunity to get uh, educated, but you're gonna see the other side of the industry, they're very professional. Everything that's done on the feedlots uh, around the world, it's done here. It's the same thing in the dairy industry. So you go come to Brazil, you're going to see very, very uh, simple management and cows that are not producing even like two or 3,000 kilos in a lactation. Uh, and you're also going to see very high uh, qualified uh, uh, people, just like an industry, just like a business. And I try to show you guys that uh, with that, our main source of forage, it is corn silage for sure. In our main source of uh, non-fiber carbohydrate, it's starch and basically from corn. Uh, sorghum is, is it's kind of, it is important uh, because of the second crop is the great risk of not raining enough. But uh, starch, uh, corn, high moisture corn became a reality. But ground corn and high moisture corn here, we can grow the crop, the crop, and harvest with a certain humid, <clears throat> or we can buy the corn grind it and then add water and make high moisture corn. Mm. And uh, we finished trying to show you guys that uh, the dairy producers, it, they really use hostings. I showed that the, the semen come from US and Canada. So they they know what's going on in terms of genetics around the world. Uh, they visit the world, they're expo, they see the cows, they, they really wanna have the best cows here. And you can see that they have 12,000, 13,000 kilos in a lactation in Brazil, it's not easy. So they really work well with bunk space, management time that cow lay down, heat stress, good feed, buy and sell well. And it's a profitable business. Dairy in Brazil, if you do well, is a very good profitable business. And uh, <clears throat> that makes me really proud because as a software distributor, MTS has been able to help a lot of these nutritionists to help these producers to get even better. 
And then one thing that I see for MTS that they listen to the producers, they listen to the nutritionists, and they change. And it's been changing three, four times in a year, which is really good. Okay. So again, thank you guys so much for joining. I am I'm here to try to answer questions. If I don't, I'm gonna pass to Tom because he's our specialist. And uh, hope you guys enjoy a little bit of question and answer here. All right, thank you. Um, let's see, to launch in, Hudai, you wrote a question in the chat window. Do you want to ask that you're on your okay. own? Thank you. Sure, thank you. I think there are lots of similar similarities between Brazil and Turkey, you know, that's the, what I understood from your presentation. First of all, you know, I would like to congratulate you about a very good presentation. Now, I thought that I was in Brazil. Thank you. Uh, you know, I would like to learn about that. Uh, the, what is the uh, meat, meat and uh, milk consumption per capita in Brazil? Okay, very good. <clears throat> when I put this yeah, because together, you are the yeah. uh, you are the very good producer here. There, you are producing in the uh, in the beef production. You are in number one and the same in the milk almost. So you know, I I would like to learn this. Okay, so when I when I put this presentation together, I try to give you an overview of the Brazilian agriculture agri business for sure. And one thing that is important uh, is the income per capita of the population of the country, because that's the main source of the feed yeah. that we produce is Brazil. Although we are number one or number two in, in terms of export of uh, several <clears throat> agricultural commodities. And what impact the income uh, per capita of these people, uh, it's a lot of things, but mainly, mainly politics. And I end up my presentation because I think everybody needs to uh, to be part of your life is to help your account get better. We had 13 years of, of politics that they really stole a lot of money from our population. It's the yeah. biggest theft since capitalism was invest, invented. And uh, that impacted a lot our income uh, per capita of the population. So they did not have money. So when they don't have money, uh, meat is something that they really kind of goes down in terms of consumption. In general, in Brazil, we have three meals. The morning, the breakfast, it does not have meat, but it does have milk, very common. The second one, it's around noon, it's our lunchtime. It's very common to have rice, we are a source of carbohydrate, beans, a source of uh, protein, little bit of salad and some meat. So meat is present there. However, when we don't have enough money, we're gonna cut on that, okay? And we have a dinner, or uh, like at six or 7 p.m., we have a dinner. And it usually uh, is a little bit of leftover from what's at lunch, and they cook something. But in general, during the dinner, uh, we don't eat meat. So basically, like, just like a, uh, a marketing campaign that U.S. had for beef, beef is what's for dinner, or beef is what's for lunch. So I don't have the numbers on my head, but I know uh, the, 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 the whatever people eat per head or per, per people, per person, it was good a few years ago. It was one of the biggest. The Brazil used to eat a lot of meat, but because of the government, it, it went down. And the other thing is about the milk. Milk compete mainly with soda. 
And uh, when it's hot, people drink a lot of soda and decrease the consumption of milk. But the consumption of milk is really helps a lot the indirect products like yogurt, cheese, uh, pizza, and all the other things. We, we don't drink a lot of raw milk in Brazil. We start the Brazilian, we have an association there produces called Brazilian <coughs> Association, which is the President Geraldo is my friend. He's doing a great job and he's trying to push to have a, just like a market campaign, like you, US had the, the, the milk mustache to increase <laughs> yes. consumption of milk. In fact, my uncle has a, a milk processing plant And uh, he would talk about that a lot. If we can increase the consumption of milk 10, 20, 30, 30% is not going to be enough milk in Brazil. Uh, so that, that's what I try to help a little bit to understand a little bit more. So in, in, in addition, we have import and export. We don't export much milk, but uh, we have challenges between <clears throat> our Mercosul, which is like your European Union, that uh, we block the import, we cannot we block the Brazil to import powder milk, dry milk, but uh, they can import through Argentina. So they, they buy, they send to the dry, dry milk to Argentina and from Argentina to Brazil is just one block. And I'm, I'm not blaming Argentina. I really like and I have friends, they're good people, but it's a challenge sometimes, mainly when we have a lot of milk in the market because the price of milk goes down and uh, really impact income over feed cost. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And Didi, thank you. maybe oh, the last question is that, what is the population in agribusiness in Brazil? The, our population, <clears throat> in, in the Brazilian population is 210-220 million people. But uh, we had in the past a movement to move from uh, uh, farms to go back to the city yeah. because of low income in the farms. Then later on, we had a different movement where we just discussed last week uh, that uh, there is a say in the farm that said, you don't, if you don't study, <clears throat> you're going to go to the farm and you're going to do manual things, just like cut grass and stuff like that. Today, Today in Brazil, we said you need to study to understand all the technologies, the softwares and BI and drones and everything. So you are able to manage the farm. So things change. We, we have a lot of people that now uh, move back to produce, but I don't know what's the percentage of population that live in the city. What is the percentage of population that live in the farm? But I can tell you, Brazil is a big farm. Basically, Brazil is a big farm. Half percent of our GDP came from agriculture. 10% of our GDP came from livestock production. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Marcelo, you indicated that um, a lot of, not a lot of dairy products are exported. Are you feeling any sort of um, um, influence From, from the countries that you're exporting to regarding the, the ways or the types of um, crops you can grow to feed animals, anything like that. Like here in the U.S., we have um, encouragement not to use GMOs um, in things that we export. What, what, what do you feel on that? Oh, no. 
we don't have that. It's just uh, like I said, you know, that we have a we have a, a minister of economy today, which is really really smart. And he said when he became part of the team, I'm gonna open up the economy. I want to make business with anybody in the world, in a, but it needs to be good business. So we, and today we have also Minister of Agriculture, Secretary, Secretary of Agriculture that came from, uh, really has a lot of background, understanding what beef producers, their producers, corn and so far they need. And they did open economy. So we, we do, we make business with any country that's under the law and uh, has a good agreement because that's good for the country. Uh, we don't, we allow GMO, uh, we, we use all the technology that to me is it's a great technology so we can increase productivity. And we don't decide uh, on, on get penalized because you do GMO. The same thing would be with RBST. We Brazil is probably one of the country that use more RBST in the world. In fact, US, is not using anymore. You only have one kind. Brazil have two kinds, and uh, we, it, we know it's a safe milk. It doesn't impact our hormones or kids' hormones or anything, and increase productivity. So we think about it. Well, if it's good, it's going to increase our feed efficiency. It's going to bring more money to the farmers. Why not to use same thing with GMO? Uh, we know that European countries they usually don't like. Uh, I don't want to discuss if they're right or wrong, but because they're buying. So they're buying, they can select which table they want to see. And uh, we sell if we can, they can buy. But we do a lot of business in terms of agriculture with Middle East uh, countries, like uh, uh, Egypt, a lot of, I think the world do business with China uh, in, in this kind of country. Thank you. Um, Bill, can, what can you... Um... Do you have some thoughts that you want to share with us? Sure. Excellent um, presentation, Marcelo. I really enjoyed it. And it's gratifying to see that Brazil is a very good student of the world dairy industry, and, and you have certainly captured the best technologies and concepts from the world over, you know, in fortifying your industry. So kudos there. But here's a question. As you look at the world industry, and let's look at the United States, for example, <clears throat> we go through the same swings of production uh, increases and price falling, and our government's strongly involved in milk pricing with milk orders. Um, but aside from that, we get into situations where the cost of production may exceed what we get paid for the milk, and this puts us in a very difficult situation, obviously. Um, and milk has become a commodity, um, except by those producers that are now reinventing milk as something different, like the Fairlife products and things of that nature. Are you looking ahead um, to secure markets for your surplus? And if so, as an export, or are they going to try to control volume? I mean, how are they going to position themselves in the future so you don't get into the same surplus situation that a lot of uh, other parts of the world have with milk where the price falls as it becomes commoditized? No, I think so. it's a very good question. It's a very interesting question. I have uh, Geraldo, which is the president of Brazilian Association, is my friend who have been 
in talks together, been traveling together. He lives in Brasilia, <clears throat> which is Washington for, for US. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know what he's thinking. And I talked to the big there is, in fact, going to be having a webinar with Roberto Janke. It's a number top five dairy producer in Brazil. And one of the guys that understand most about dairies that I know. What, what the industry share? Price control is not healthy in, right. the, in the, medium, the medium time. It can help now, but it's really going to damage. Exactly. You know, I don't want to make this uh, analogies, but it's much, it's much like socialism. <laughs> we need capitalism. And uh, what we, I understand they're trying to push more and more is to debureaucratize de or take the government out of this, this commodity business as much as possible. Right now, we have a lot of taxes that are involved in producing anything in Brazil. We're counter that taxes a lot. In general, in general, everything that you buy in Brazil, 50% is taxes. It's, it would be wonderful if we could uh, go back and use these taxes in, in favor of the population. But uh, it's still not being done. Uh, and what I understand, the, the biggest move this the production association is doing, and I, and I see it's happening because I'm also linked to the national dairy training people, is first to educate people to use all the technology they have to produce the milk that's cheaper. It's, we, we can do that. We can do today. You know, there's a big population of dairy producers that are producing milk. They don't even know how much it costs. If you go to their farm and you ask how much it costs, they're gonna tell us oh, it's one here on one real and fifty cents and so far, there's not even close. And that's in general for small business. They, they, we need to you know personalize them. So I understand is is a huge huge potential to grow in terms of efficient first and produce the same amount of milk and make more money. But the other size of the the movie is that okay, so if it's increase the milk production, what's going to happen is just a commodity. And that's what compost barn did. Compost barn became a reality in Brazil five, six years ago. And, and, and producers just moved from pasture or whatever facility they have to compost barn. And they saw five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 liters, 10 kilos increase per cow per day. That was a lot of milk. That was a boom. And then we started discussing what we're going to do with this milk. Uh, and then there is a lot of, you know, anytime that you have a difficult time in your life, just after you get that, you get better. You know, the, the darker the day become, the closer it gets from the sun of the next day. So sure. it does good for the industry because they learn how to make a lot of new products. <clears throat> A2 milk came, a bunch of yogurt. Organic production is not uh, important in Brazil. It's present, but it's not important. Cheese of all kinds. They start making business with different countries. So every business don't want to sell commodity because you, you don't negotiate. How much? How much is the price of corn? This. Oh, but I just sell for that. No, corn is corn. Oh, but my corn. Okay, see so if you have a different thing. But it's not easy question to answer. We, we I don't see us putting a cap on how much milk people can produce. Like Canada, for example, by coat, uh, it's not necessary. We did still not move to control uh, 
uh, some nutrients in the land, how much the cows are excreting, okay. and how, much, how many animals you can put in our farm. Because there is still a lot of land to explore, and uh, there is there is no. In general, the producers, agriculture producers, they really respect the environment. Uh, we don't we don't need to cut any tree to produce more. We have enough space. So I think it's a it's a long question in, in terms of a mark. But one thing I can tell you, we want to make business with the world. We don't want to control. We don't want to put a cap, and it's going to be commodity. For a long time, that I can tell you is not going to be a different product in terms of percentage of what we produce. But I know this big there is the, the, the first one uh, that I show you. They, they they produce their own milk, their own brand, the distributor. They do marketing just like uh, JBS started their meat. Uh, Marfrig started their meat. You don't buy like a cut. It's not. We have different cuts from the world. We have like picanha, contra filet, and just like a rebuy and stuff like that. Just don't buy a rebuy. You buy a rebuy from JBS. And they advertise that you're not in the national TV. A rebuy from JBS is much is much better. You can taste better and stuff like that. And in general, rebuy is rebuy. Even if you have an Angus or a Crossbred or a Hereford, in general. But when you work your brand, they can sell a little bit uh, more expensive and make more money. Sure. So a real quick question. Why don't you import flowery hybrid corn varieties? Will they not grow down there? Why is it all flinty? <laughs> For this question, I would like you to have you uh, and, and Tom and with me drink a beer. Before I answer, Mary, can you allow my camera here? It's, it, it's really, I really like to, to see people here because I'm trying to put my camera on and it's not showing. Yeah, let me, give me a second on that. Um, most of the time we don't, but let me have to remember how to do this. <laughs> well, one, one time there was in another webinar and I asked you something like that and the, the, the organizer pushed a button that end the webinar for everybody. So if you don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I just have to find the right button. There we go. No, no uh, I think you can start now. Okay, Dr. Bill, uh, some time ago, I think three, four years ago, uh, hi, now I can see everybody. Uh, Tom uh, asked, well, Tom came here a lot of time and he's, you know, we're missing him, uh, but he's not, COVID is not allowing him to come anymore, but he'll come uh, pretty soon. Hey, Tom, how are you? Uh, and, and we really like him. Tom can go visit you too. We're... <laughs> Well, we're going to make him come through the Mexican border and then go down to Argentina, and then he can, we can pass him through Brazil. Uh, I, but we don't... <laughs> cannot do that because I know the Argentina, Paul and stuff would stop him there because they like Tom there too. Uh, we can share a week there and we week here. And uh, Tom came, and I remember, just like it was today, he was in a farm in Minas Gerais, and he grabbed some feces and said, man, it's... This stuff, this starch is still here. It's tough. It's hard. We need to get to something. And then uh, we start talking with a company that's uh, it's a flower. And, and we, we kind of start talking, but it's, uh, they're trying to do some testing. It takes us some, a lot of time, a lot of paper to get it passed. Anyhow, all the companies, Bayer, Syngenta, KWS, Pioneer, whatever you name, I work with them because I help them to analyze their feed. 
uh, what we need to do in Brazil. They're not going to change unless the consumer asks for. And they're, the consumer asking more because the hard ones, the, the corns with the high uh, prolamine, they're hard for bugs to get inside them so they can store longer. Uh, and now the producers, they understand that now there's understand about seven hour starch digestibility and uh, the KD starch, the KD of starch. And we played that on MTS and showed them how much milk or how much meat they can make if they improve starch digestibility. Even now, because now the price of corn is historical high and soybean is, uh, I think we made some calculations, $300,000 a ton. I think U.S. is about, uh, if they calculate right, 200, 250. So if we're going to buy for new U.S. And, and bring to Brazil, but say, well, but China bought it first. So we're a little bit late. <laughs> and uh, it, it, we need to push the producers, and they're asking for. They're, they know. But one thing that uh, is kind of go counterintuitive and counterattack is that time of silo will help improve starch digestibility. So if you have a hybrid that's not so good in digestibility, but have 30, 35% of starch, you get 20, 20, 15, 20 units of starch digestibility with six, seven months. And so things start getting better. But uh, I can tell you the companies are kind of looking to have their flower hybrids. And uh, it, it's gonna take some time. The main thing, and Dr. Andersander, was my master advisor, co-advisor in, in Wisconsin. He's been running corn silage hybrids for years. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's going to give a talk today at noon, uh, in noon U.S., Central Time. And uh, he said, Marcelo, to select for hybrid corn silage, the number one thing is healthy. So a lot of times, just like you had the BMR corn, the BMR corn is wonderful, but a lot of times it cannot stand. Uh, you, you, you have here, yeah, we have here uh, an opportunity, but because of uh, the climate, the humid, and the, the, the sun, and the, a little bit of different population, we usually work with 5,000 plants, sometimes 60, sometimes 70. Uh, the bugs is going to impact if you have a hybrid that's not selected for the tropical conditions. Right. But I can tell you, it, it's a huge market because not only cows, but we're feeding in the feedlot way more animals. It probably is going to be another record for feedlot. So if they can use a corn silage that has a higher starch digestibility, they can buy less corn from the industry. And that's going to impact the cost of gain a lot and the cost to produce meat. So sorry to make the long answer, and long, long answer but... Uh, it, that topic is a talk for beer, for sure. There's no question the flowery hybrids tend not to have the yield of corn, okay? And that's what suppresses it here in the U.S. when they're looking for dual purpose so they can take it to grain or take it to silage. But um, there's no question that we see a benefit in terms of milk production when we do have it. But disease... Pressure is certainly another factor, even here in the U.S. with BMR, you know. So, yeah, I was just wondering, though, there's nothing to restrict it from coming in, though, right? You, they, it would be allowed to come in if people yeah. wanted it, correct? Yes. Okay. And, and one thing, 
that uh, <clears throat> we're doing, we have this farm with, uh, it's a good friend, they're the nutritionists, and they lease a farm, three nutritionists. They said, well, if I tell my clients how to do, and I'm going to prove I can do, and they're doing well. They're, they're, they're cutting 80 centimeters for, for corn silage, just, be, just below the cobs, so they're really doing the topless. And, yeah. and, and uh, they have a really good corn silage. They're producing 40 kilos on average with very, very little of corn. And now corn is really expensive. So they're making a lot of money. So there are other opportunities uh, that can help it too. But for sure, for in general, for producers that don't know that uh, a flower endosperm with um, low prolamine it, with good production. So we want a milk per ton and milk per hectare. Right. Uh, it'd be very welcome. Yeah. That, Would, thank you, Marcelo. Um, Tom, do you, before we close out, I don't have any more questions. Um, do you want to give some comment and share some of your experiences and exchange with Marcelo what some of the challenges are that you see when you're working down in Brazil? Marcelo did really well on doing all of that. You know, yeah. it, it's the uh, uh, potential heat stress, you know, sort of like here, politics, get involved, uh, forage quality, you know, labor. <laughs> it, it's, no, it's really cool. Great. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining this morning. Marcelo, we'll see you again this afternoon. Um, your connection was fine and great. So, Thanks and so I much. can't emphasize enough how much we all enjoyed your presentation. Knew very little. And this, this really gave us a good overview. And I do want to thank Marcelo. He was the initial driving force behind these webinar series. Um, it was his idea. And that first year that we got it going in 2015, it was it was Marcelo saying we should do this, and he brought us all in on it. So um, again, thank you everyone for joining. Um, and this will get this is recorded, and it will get posted up on the website when I get to the process of converting it. So um, Marcelo, I'll see you tonight. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Um, Yep. Thank you. And I, Thank you. just a special shout out from, from Sylvia Baruch in um, Canada. She says she was originally some, from Uruguay. So I expect that she enjoyed this and it got her up to date on, on conditions down there. So thanks very much, everybody. You're Bye. Welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Paula will ask some questions from Argentina. Marcos, we're glad to have you join us. Um, my colleague, Lynn Gilbert, had joined us, but she'll need to be leaving soon. So um, I am, Marcelo, going to switch over to the um, reading view so that you can tell me what slides you want to be on if you need to do any further explanation. Um, so Marcelo, you made it again this afternoon. That's great. <laughs> Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I hope other people can well, too. Please, please move to the first slide. Yes. If you can, the, the first one. Yeah, well, the first one. It's really important. <clears throat> the thank you slide? No, the first one. Yes. 
This one, okay. No, the first one. The first slide that you have in the presentation. The first ah, one. This one with your face. Yeah, that's the only time my face is handsome because of Photoshop, <laughs> so leave it there. <laughs> okay. Ah, no, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's a great team, great people. Tom, I don't know if he's around this afternoon, but uh, always helping us. The MTS great software. Uh, we're trying to increase the use in Brazil. It is increasing and all over the world. And to me, I, I really try to put together the best that I could. Uh, of course, I, I really thank uh, Professor Marcos and thanks so much that he's here. He helped me a lot, has a lot of uh, things that he can collaborate. And uh, also, Abraleite, I'm very proud also to be a member. Uh, we, do we don't have a lot of statistics as U.S. Uh, so the, the best statistics that I got was from USDA. But, and however, uh, I would like to thank you, Marcelo Pereira, the owner of Milkpoint, that we had some really good data from the top 100 their producers. And uh, so thank you all. And first of all, uh, Professor Marcos that's here, he's an icon in Brazil that uh, he, when he came to, from US to Brazil, he, after that, he's, now he has his own farm that he's a farmer. So he's a nutritionist, a farmer, veterinary, uh, consultant, extension, a professor, whatever. And he has uh, been able to help to create a lot of grad students that become professionals. And uh, still, we have a group in WhatsApp that uh, you can ask anything that he will be, he'll be happy to discuss. Uh, so this is a really great, great pleasure to have Professor Marcos here. And it's just like, you know, I am a, a little baby compared to Marcos. You know, if Professor Marcos was like, we have an NRC in Brazil, he would be the, the chairman. So I really would like, uh, Marcos, if you, if you feel comfortable to also answer questions because uh, I think you can add a lot to the, to, to the question. So don't, if you feel, free to, feel free to ask, but also feel free to answer because I think uh, it, the, the idea is to help people to understand and share what we have in Brazil, okay? He, um, Marcelo, he's an icon here too. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. well, uh, I, I, the, the bad thing is I think he's gonna spend some time in US and it's going to leave us for to work on something. I don't, I don't know if Wisconsin. So, well, anyhow, we're going to, because of the internet and webinars, we still will be able to get uh, his attention. But uh, he's, he's a very good guy. He helped us a lot to understand how to use corn, the, the flint and the, and the flour uh, management. Important thing to test products. Uh, for the dairy industry, he's a very important guy. Well, that will be nice to have him with us. So um, that'll be super. Hopefully I can run into him someplace, much more likely than in um, Brazil. Uh, <laughs> Marcelo, I am going to ask, actually, usually I defer to Paula first, um, or I would have Marcos go first, but um, I'm going to ask Lynn if she would like to ask her question first. She was in this morning's webinar as well. And... Um, she she has a family that she needs to get get to. So I'm going to say, Lynn, would you like to go ahead with your first question? Sure. Thanks, Marianne. And thanks, Marcelo. That's a fantastic presentation. Um, I think it really helped everybody get a good perspective of what's going on in the Brazilian dairies. Um, Marcelo, do you have an idea of milk production in like high groups and average high groups in Brazil? 
like the high the high pins. Yeah, how how much milk are they producing? The the pin or the farm? Either. Okay. Both. <laughs> you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> well, just like I said, I'm not that old, and that's the thing. Professor Mark is older than me. See, that's one thing right there. Uh, when I graduated from vet school in 2002, a really good average was 20 kilos. We are in 2021, let's say 20 years after that, a good average 40, moving to 45 to 50. In fact, we have a really good friend in, in Minas Gerais Passos that are, they're doing 40 with topless, with 70% forage in the diet. And uh, these farms to have that, they have cows picking 55, 60 in, in the high bands. And, 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 and Professor Marcos, please feel free, you know, all the questions, if you would like to comment and add, that'd be, that'd be educational. Thanks. Thank Thanks you, so Lynn. much. Thanks. <laughs> Lynn, go off and do what you need to do. Um, Paula, would you like to start with a question? Okay. Hi, Marcelo. How are you? Good. Okay. As I, as I was listening to Paula, uh, I realized how fast you speak English. <laughs> <laughs> because she was speaking so fast. Okay. I will start with the first question. Which uh, was the main issue solved by the use of the compost barns? Which was what? I did not understand it. The main issue, the main problem solved by the compost barns. Okay. Well, it's, uh, again, Marcus, feel free to, to discuss that. But that thing is, it's, there is no, in my, my understanding, there is no additive, there is no change, there is nothing you can do in a deer farm that increases five, six, seven kilos of milk, which is a lot of energy per cow per day, every day, without increasing cost and improving feed efficiency. Um, when we found or understood or discovered about uh, compost barn, it was, uh, you know, I was discussing about this, these days that we have COVID-19, so many things uh, going back to hard situations with high price of corn and soybean. And I always understood, you know, Michael Jordan, Ayrton Senna, which is our I'm a really good fan of him, said, when you're in a bad situation, go back to the basics. So when Michael Jordan had bad times, which was not that bad, he would go back to the free throw and uh, just centralize and get better again. Um, so right now, because of COVID and all the prices, I always tell the producers, go back, just check your diet. Uh, could use the pain state and see how far the diet that you, you, you balance is from the diet that's there. If you have more than five percent variation, go back to the mixer. After that, you can you can do analysis on that, and after that, maximize forage and so far. So, the basic thing is it's really important for any business and for daring. The basic thing is just you know give a good place where cows can be, they can lay down, relax, and ruminate. That will make you make more milk, and we did not have that. Uh, our freestyles you, and our over the world, not just want to blame Brazil, it's a busy style. It's not a freestyle. It's just like a highway in some of the countries, some of the cities in Brazil. So they did not have first, 
they had the sun under them, which is increased the body temperature. That's heat stress. Second, they have flies. Flies that you cannot even cannot eat if something is bugging you. Third, if they don't have a place to lay down because there's almost mud during half of the year. So they did not have the basics. And most of these cows too did not have bunk space. So when you just change the base, they did not have to give anything. You did not have to give them protecting methionine, lysine, organic chrome, improve uh, metabolism of protein, look at milk fever, nothing. Just give me a place to lay down, relax, a space to eat and take my milk as fast as you can. Compost barn allows that. Compost barns allows that. So it, it moved from heaven to, to from hell, basically from hell to heaven. And so when you do that, the animals just do what they're supposed to do. They improve their productivity. Uh, and I, I think the, you know, the, the chicken and the, pol the, the poultry and the swine industry learned that a long time ago. Brazil learned it. That was really, really good because uh, in, it, we put a lot of milk in the market. Now that's always the other side. Is we always need to be like a judge. Listen to the guy that's being accused and li listen to the prosecutor and see what's going to happen, because what are you going to do with all this milk? But that's not our question, I, Paula. I, I tried to answer your question. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, Mar Marcel, I'm going to ask a question, and Marcos, if you would um, join in on the answer and then perhaps um, also share some of your thoughts. Um, the, the question is, what are the major metabolic issues Brazilian dairy farmers face during the transition period. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? I, I can go first. Let me go first. Yeah, uh, I, what? I was going. Sorry, Marion. I, I was going to comment on Paula's question on the. Okay, go ahead. Issues yeah. for compost barn. Can you listen to me? I'm okay, right? Yes, yes. yes okay, so I think, uh, uh, thanks Marcelo for the talks. I think you, you try to cover a lot of things, politics, economics, environment, and like cow breed, and uh, it's, a very, it's very difficult, man, that short time. And I, but I think you did a good job, man, showing that you have small farmers, big farmers, and uh, it's a, one's a social thing, that's the other one is food production. And I think it, they tried to do a good job and showed a lot of that. Uh, I, I just want to make a little comment on the compost barn. Like Paula asked us what would, would be the major issues, like in my opinion, like compost barn has grown a lot here, especially in the west part of, of Brazil, the central part. And like they are new, is a new, usually new, new, like confinement cattle regions. They don't confine cattle for they, they have not confined cattle for a long time in these regions. They used to graze a lot of cows there. And compost barn has gained a lot of like credibility. A lot of people like it. A lot of people tried free stalls in, in those new regions and it did not work well, like some technological issues, although the biggest farms in Brazil use free stalls. Okay, so, but compost is a new thing and it's growing a lot. And it, it, it's working, okay? Like like Marcelo said, you take a cow from, from pasture, you improve nutrition, you improve, give comfort, and the same cow produces more and the farmers like that. Uh, 
One issue for me is, is, is nutrition, like basic stuff, like how to use like a PMR wagon, ration balancing, like because this, these forms, they, they, they did not necessarily did it before. They, they, they used concentrates, but they, they, they did not formulate diet. They did not feed cows indoors. So I think for me, it's a challenge. Like for, for this, for this, this uh, for, for our scenario, the the other big challenge for me is as a management issue is is, is is the bedding issue and how to dry it. Okay, it's a like you have good nutrition and good bedding, you you have a system that's working and and bedding is is an issue. Like some people have been using wood shavings, in some regions they use a lot coffee house. Okay, so, and how you manage it. And in some areas of Brazil, it's not easy. That's why the, the, the growth of compost barns in the south is not that high because they have more moisture, have more rain. So we, it's not easy to, to dry off the, the bedding material. It has a huge potential in the northeast. The, the dry region of Brazil is much, very, very easy to work compost barns on that region. Some people here, they have used like tunnel ventilated systems. It makes even more difficult to dry the bedding. The result is like you can, you can have like compost barns with, like with like eight square meters per cow. And you can have compost barns using 16 square meters per cow. Okay, so you, basically you, you need to adjust the number of cows. At the end of the year, Marcelo showed at the end of the year, we have rain and the moisture. So it's more difficult to dry the bedding, to manage the bedding um, on that part of the year. Some farmers, they're making money with the bedding. They sell it for composting, for organic producers and things like that. And, but for a lot of people, it's just make manure management much easier. Like people that have coffee plantations and compost barn, for me, it's like a, a perfect wedding, like your wedding that they, you, you get the, 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 the coffee house and you, you turn compost to the coffee. So it's a, and the cows, they did not use to give anything to the coffee. Okay, like the, the cows always gave manure to the coffee and the coffee would not give anything to cows. But now coffee is giving the house and, and the system works really well. So there's a lot of compost in places with Minas Gerais. Yeah? Marcelo, Minas Gerais is about 30% of Brazilian milk and is also the highest producer of coffee. So that's one reason the system is growing. But bedding, I think, is an issue. Like you need really to think if it's viable, how much it would cost, how much you, how much you need, né? How, how many cows you can have per square meter of construction. Because like the hoofs and the, the, the feed alley is basically the same as in a freestyle. And, and, and life is different. The management of the bedding is different than the management of the bedding of a freestyle. It just changed the work. Like uh, you, don't, you don't stay without work, but it's a different work. You need to, uh, how, uh, you need to, uh, to, to plow the bedding, to aerate it during milking and like manure management is completely different. But I would say that nutrition and, and how you manage bedding are the, the key factors for Success. Nutrition would be the same as in, for any confined cattle, but the, some people, they don't go for the compost because of the, the bedding issue. It can be a problem in some places. Some people work it really well. 
Some people have been using only for, for heifers. That's fantastic because the produce, production of manure and urine is much smaller. So dairy management is much easier. Some people like have free stalls for cows and compost barn for heifers, like hosting herds in this case. But, uh, and when you go with cows to the compost, usually they start changing the breed. Like if the guy was a crossbred breeder, then he goes for hostings and there is a transition for that. And it happens also and change how you, how you, you manage your life, your, your employees and how, how, what kind of work you have. So I think it's a big change in, in this world. Marcos, okay. Marcos, <laughs> okay. Marcos, in yeah. those farms where they're um, perhaps putting heifers on compost and then having a freestall with the, the lactating cows, do you see any difficulty with the, the heifers actually adapting to freestall conditions or do they become alley rats? No, I, I, I don't see that many. It's very nice because the management of the bedding for the heifer is very easy. Like you don't need to plow every, like in a, for cows, you plow the bedding. If you milk three times, you plow three times. Okay, for, for the heifers, you can plow like twice a week, something like that. And mm -hmm. the, the, the challenge for, for us is the, we have a, 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 a cheekbone disease, and like a, anaplasmosis and babesios and you want, when you go completely for confinement you get rid of the ticks so you need to deal with that okay but for management it's, it's very nice it's very easy like and and you can put a lot of heifers per square meter because they don't get as yeah, they don't have the production of feces of a cow mm -hmm. so and, and they, they adapt really well some people for example they use compost for transition cows only also they care on the compost bar and then they go to to freestall. Okay, seeing it, it, it seems to work also. But I but and, and very few people here have have the heifers on freestalls. Okay, the, the the most common way would would be to have heifers in paddocks, mm -hmm. and it's not always good because you have mud at the end of the year. You have same problems you have with cows, you don't have mastitis, but you can have some also. So the would be going for a paddock system, like a, a, to a, like a kind, of, kind of an open bar, and then you go to freestall. This way you go from a compost to freestall. But in re really, I, I, I don't see that's an issue. Like actually I see better growth rates and younger heifers, bigger heifers. Sometimes you have over-conditioned heifers because we have a lot of corn silage. So some people like introducing grasses just to, to lower the energy content of the diet or they get too fat. And, but it's really, it's a, it's a very nice option. It's, and it's growing a lot, I think. Even more than, than the option for cows. As I said, some people they have free stalls and they're going for compost for the young animals. And so it's really nice. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to ask a couple quick questions. Um, Marcelo has let me know that he needs to leave at um, in in oh, a little over twelve minutes, but that Marcos could continue on with questions if we have more from them. So I'll try to get through these next two that I have, and then I know Paula had some. Um, so, what are the major metabolic issues dairy farmers face during the transition period? 
I'm sorry, Bimir, because I had I am in a place that I'm one hour behind Brazilian time, and I messed up the, my whole. I had three webinars today, and uh, oh, one gosh. is on, yeah. it was in your time, and the noon was at the central central time, and now we went back to and we moved from one state to another. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you said you were on the move, so yeah, but life is good. Life is good. 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 Uh, Thanks so much. And Marcos can comment. It's great comment. Like I said, he lives there. He knows what he's talking about. Well, my understanding of the major metabolic disease, and I can tell you um, because of data that I also published on the Journal of Science, and that was some work done by the University of Wisconsin Veterinary Team, uh, Dr. Ken Ardon, so far, I had had the opportunity to take that class. Uh, production medicine was really good. Uh, I'll, I'll just give one step move one step before I, I say that. To me, one of the biggest challenges is the cows to get fat, uh, and they get fat in late lactation, to, so they get fat when they're dry. Uh, I had the class in Wisconsin, and, and there was one professor that said, you know, the perfect perfect cow would be three square, uh, body condition score three all over, shouldn't change. The change that make things difficult in, in everything in, in management. But my answer would be, uh, calcium, calcium metabolism, you know, more than half of the farms in US, they have a subclinical calcium level below, and I don't want to say it's eight or whatever, but there's some people that will discuss that, but below a good number. So they have a subclinical hypocalcemia. When you have that, uh, everything's not working in the cell because the cell needs calcium. So better hydroxybutyrate and NIFA, uh, you're going to have the problem with that. You're going to have displaceable mass. You're going to have a high somatic cell count. You're going to have mastitis. The reproduction is going to be impacted because of the embryonic calcium. Everything is impacted. And that's uh, it's just, you know, the bottom part of, uh, of the, the iceberg that people don't see. They just, just see the tip. So on my understanding, how although we, we're moving, we're getting better in terms of how thin or how fat the cows are, and I, I saw in Wisconsin at the um, uh, animal science barn, a lot of cows calving 2.75 in a good environment, good quality feed, they're producing a lot of milk. And when I saw the 3.25 and 3.5, which I thought was the good ones, they had some metabolic problems and disease and stuff like that. So, well, what's going on? They're too thin. Anyhow, uh, my answer is uh, apocalcemia. It's a, it's a challenge that the word uh, need to, to to learn because calcium is, is in all the cells. Okay, thank you. Um, Marcos, do you do you want to add to that or? Uh, no, I, I, Mary, I, I think that when you talk about Holstein, let's talk about Holstein. Like he, Problems are basically the same as everywhere. Like we have hypocalcemia, we have retained placentas, ketosis, DAs, and like the the causes of cow culling in, in confinement system, system in Brazil are basically the same as everywhere. Reproduction, mastitis, feet and legs. So we're basically dealing with the same issues. And uh, I don't think we have a, we have a, we, we we use lots of grasses. We don't have like lot in the south. You can have temperate forage, but most of the people they don't use very high potassium forage. Like one silage would be the 
the major source in, in other grasses. So like we don't have alfalfa in, or rye grass in, in large use. In, in the south you can have, but not in Minas Gerais and other places. So yeah, it's not difficult to control clinical hypocalcemia. Like the use of anionic salts is very spread and a lot of people use that. So basically I think we suffer the same issues, like cows that don't eat post-calving, retained placentas, and it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's the same thing, I would say. Okay, Th thank you. Um, Paula, I'm, I've got a couple of questions left in my windows, but I'm gonna come back to you in the event that you wanna ask of, of Marcelo before he goes, or if um, there's something that Marcos could handle. Uh, I really don't know. I think both of them could answer. Okay, pa Paula, or did you? They were already answered. Your your um, volume is not very high for me, and I think I see Marcelo struggling too. Okay. There. Uh, that's better. Yes. Okay. Did you have no more questions? No. Yes, I have. I I thought you were asking. Okay, I go with the, the, uh, one question. Uh, it's about, uh, Leandro is asking, can you explain us a little bit better what do you do with the high moisture corn to increase digestibility? Okay, if I understood it it's right, what we do with high moisture corn to increase digestibility? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, uh, the, there's really very a lot of data showing that if you want things going to change in starch from corn silage or corn itself, uh, in during the silo, it is starch digestibility. The other things, like fiber mainly, there's a, there's there are, there are a lot of discussion. Many do it also the dry matter. The, the, the general dry matter, we're going to 30 to 40. If you go outside this range, things can happen. But from 30 to 40, I think, you know, the work done by Dr. Shaver, Ferrareto, Professor Marcos um, has done a lot of work about time of ensilo and, and start digestibility and response in cows and fecal starch. And so th there's really, I think, one thing that the world can tell. If you grab a feed, that has starch, and usually we will do corn silage or corn grain. You can buy it, grind it at water, or you can produce in our farm, or sorghum, which is usually be, is going to be our second crop due to uh, water challenge or rain challenge. If you leave it there, starch, the prolamine is going to get broken down with time. Soluble protein is going to increase. Ammonia is going to increase because of this restructuring that's happened there. With that said, that will allow the starch to ferment faster. Uh, if you compare one month versus one day, two months versus one day, three months versus one day, up to seven months. Uh, that's usually, you can get better starch distributed after seven months, of course. But you need to see at the tangent how, how much you're going to get and how much interest you have it there. So there's one thing that you really well establish. If you leave your, your feed in a, in, a, in a silo 
and it doesn't matter which silo it is, it will help to improve starch digestibility. The data from Ferrareto, uh, and maybe Marcus has different data, but that's, I think, US corn. One day is 50% starch digestibility in seven hours. When you look at seven months, it goes up, up to 75% starch digestibility. So the same amount of this feed that you feed to the animal, you're going to get more a metabolizable energy, metabolizable protein. That, uh, you, of course, you do some correlation. You can um, go back and see how much milk you're going to get. But doesn't mean the cow is going to produce it because you can use the energy for, for maintenance, for growth, for body quality score, for memory grants, growth, and, and so forth. But the, what happened is just improve in starch distributed because of the restructure of the, the, the prolamine, the main protein that's there. That's really well known. That, that's a fact. Okay? And that's big. That's important. Okay, thank you. Paula, do you have more? Yes, I, I have one more. Okay. Marcelo, you talked about liters and milk yield as liters. Can you tell us something about milk solids and which are the recommendations you are having to prevent milk fat depression? Which, which are, uh, what are the milk solids average and what are the recommendations we have to prevent milk fat depression? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I think uh, if you ask uh, anybody in Brazil how much dry matter intake it is, they're going to tell you 20 kilos, how much milk is the average cow 30 for high, for medium high. And solids, they're going to tell you 3.5 for fat and 3.132 for protein. Um, we can we can really do much better, and our farm is doing much better. Solids, it's a, it, it's very good to produce it. However, and I showed you guys, it, most of the milk is not being paid by solids, but just by volume. And uh, it's my understanding because of that, just like in the beef industry, you don't get paid most, most of the beef by grade, just like you guys have choice, select, and prime. They just get paid by kilos in age. And if you're a heifer and if you're a steer, after USDA starting using the price, prime select and uh, choice system, uh, then the system changed. The producer, well, I can make more money. It doesn't mean that we don't have industries or a milk processor that doesn't pay. Yes, we do have. And I show you guys that happens, okay? But um, not very often. What you can do to prevent uh, milk fat depression mainly is going to be the main main challenge. Milk protein usually is going to be there, but the main challenge that we try to help is milk fat depression. If we just think about where this fat's coming from. Usually, one third is going to come from the diet the animal is eating, and if you don't do anything, the, the diet's going to have three percent either extract. But now today, we're talking about fat acid. One third can come and will come from the body of the animal, long chain fatty acid. And if you see a lot of fat in a postpartum, it, because this animal is mobilizing a lot of fat. And the, the third, the rest of that is going to come from de novo, synthesizing the mammogram. That is the one that change. That's the one that change. And change do a couple of things. Basically, anything that change the pH in the rumen. It's going to allow for uh, not the biodegeneration to happen well. So some of the unsaturated fatty acids is going to go and act 
exactly in the cells of mammary gland to decrease the synthesis of de novo. What is, in my opinion, what are the main source they will decrease? If you decrease one third of something, you will decrease the whole thing. So what are the main causes that will create milk fat depression? Most of them, my, my understanding is not really nutrition. Heat stress. Heat stress is one of the main ones. Because the cow is in heat stress, she's not going to ruminate enough. She's going to end up producing enough saliva. And you're going to have a low pH. If you have a low pH, the bacteria are not going to be able to hydrogenate. C18, 1, C18, 2 is going to go to the memory gland. Management. If you put more cows than you should, and the MTS has that in terms of managing the work of heat cramp, uh, you're going to have slug feeding. The same thing with bunk space. You're going to have slug feeding. If you have slug feeding, you don't have uh, three or four hours of pH below uh, 5.8. You're going to have more time. So pH. F effective fiber. Uh, how 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 well your effective fiber is helping to uh, help to control the pH in the room and starch fermentability. Because usually you do half and half on high moisture corn and ground corn, and a uh, couple of things can change. So if you, if you increase the starch fermentability, it can uh, also kind of not help you to have a good pH. So most of the times, when I try to help, milk fat depression is a management problem, not a nutritional problem. But like Gary Otto said, when one would go to the farms in Wisconsin trying to troubleshoot milk fat depression issues, it's probably one of the main, the, the most difficult uh, disease or, or problem that you're going to troubleshoot in a farm because you have so many sources that can create milk fat depression. And in the US, they are get paid for. Here, most of the milk will not get paid, but once you get low, then you get discount. Okay, thank you. Um, Paula, do you have any more? Not, not by now, thank you. Okay, all right. Um, I'm gonna go back to one of the questions we had was actually um, answered, thank you. Um, how many lactations do you keep your cows normally in Brazil? Well, it's, uh, and I think Marcos can really help me on that because he has a farm. And uh, one thing that we, we talk a lot now, not now, for a long time, is you know the productive life. You know, even when you select semen, you, you sometimes you leave milk production for the fourth or the fifth uh, variable and you select for a cow that's going to last more. And we usually, according to, it doesn't matter which calculation, it's going to spend two and a half, two to three lactations just to pay back the heifer. And it depends on the breed. In my opinion, if you have a Holstein, you can keep her four or five lactations. Uh, and then four or five, to me, it's the most uh, profitable. Uh, but if you have a crossbred uh, animal, you, you need to think about that because their hair lactation usually is going to be shorter. And the payback is going to be a little bit different. But she's going to last also longer uh, in terms of uh, being herd. So I would say four or five uh, lactations and uh, two and a half to three lactations just to pay back. To uh, in finish that, I think Marcus can continue it. I think you guys are in a great hands. I really like to thank everybody. And I made a, I made a mistake here, just changed time zone. And I had something else to do right now. And uh, But Marcos is going to be able to help better than me. Okay. Thank Mary. Thank you all. Thank Marcos. 
and I'll see you guys soon. Thank you, Marcelo. Bye. Bye. Marcos, do you have to do you have to add to um, um, Marcelo's last comment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say like for hostings, like if you have like twenty five to thirty percent of replacement rate per year, would be is desirable, is good. Like in, in any other place, I would say. Uh, I think we have a tendency to hold calls with problems longer than in other places because the cost of replacement for a hosting is much higher here. So we cannot call calls so easily as in the United States, for example. Like, uh, so we tend to keep calls with low, lower production sometimes with some somatic cell count problems. So we, we try to work calls with locomotion problems because the, like, the, 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 the money I get for a, 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 a lactating cow that, that's being cold, I would need to call probably three to four cows to buy a, a replacement heifer with, with two years. So what is what is the cost of a replacement heifer? Uh, today I would, would be like uh, I, I sold five last week was like a, a eight to ten thousand reais would be like mm -hmm. two thousand dollars roughly. Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and even with good beef price, beef prices are really on the sky right now because of this dollar issue. And so we can call a cow, you can get like three to four, four thousand reals. Like, so I would need to call like a two to three cows, usually more to, to buy a replacement heifer. So you, you don't call cows so easily. You, you understand? Like, a, you, and it contributes to a lower production in the herd sometimes. You can mm -hmm. sometimes guy keeps inefficient cows because he it's not so easy to get the replacement. And replacement the, the rate the cost of raising the replacements not cheap. Also we, we, we need to raise them in confinement. They don't they don't raise on pasture. This isn't talking with hosting, but if, if we talk about the crossbred herds. Then the story is completely different. A lot of people milk cows with crossbred cows on pasture, so they mature slower and they last longer. They have much better reproduction. They are not they are in a grazing system, so there's a lot of data there. But you can have like replacement rates around 20, 15, 20 percent per year would be, I think, not not uncommon. But for hostings, I. It's basically the same. Like we use American genetics, Canadian genetics as everywhere. In some places people have been getting really high milk yield also. Mm -hmm. And so you have to say, I'll say like, for example, for me, the difference between Wisconsin, California and Florida is, is probably bigger than from Wisconsin and the South of Brazil or see, like we, we all, we all have these problems and like the, the say different strategies, but the cows are basically the same today. If we talk about hostings, okay. As Marcelo said, jerseys are not so important here, but the crossbreds are. Okay? Mm -hmm. And like for small farming, it, it's a big issue for me at least. Like he, we can talk about the big farms, but the big farms they don't represent a lot of people. 
in small farms, it, it's the major source of jobs in agriculture is their production. And the sec they say it's the second source of jobs in the country is second. First would be civil construction and the second would be dairy. Like we have a million farms, dairy farms. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the social importance is, is, is there and how, how you get adequate, let's talk about cow nutrition. Like the, the strategies for this is small farmer grazing crossbreds is co completely different from the from the top farm. But everybody uses concentrates. That's that that's the I think that's the, the most important thing. Even the small farmer, like with like 10 liters per cow per day, he uses concentrates. There is nobody that produces milk only on pasture. Okay. So that's uh that's why you need ration formulation a lot, because everybody's dealing with concentrates. So it, it, it explains why MTS has value here, and, and you think about that. Like, if you, if you know, you, we don't produce milk on totally on pasture. Some people mm -hmm. graze. Like there, there are very efficient farms on, on grazing farms, yeah? but the, ah, the the farmers chose to to close the cows. To they they chose the confinement because. The, during the raining season, it is very hard to work with big herds during with mud and you know, a clay type soil. We have a very moist summer. So a lot of people made this option and it seems to be growing. Like he, that's what we said, like compost barn is really something that is growing in Brazil. And the, the average milk production of Brazil, if I'm not wrong, increased more than a thousand liters per year like two years ago. The only explanation for me is compost barn and nutrition because hmm. cows are basically the same. Like the, the average cow is, a, the average production per cow, is, I think is around 4,000 liters, like the FAO number, and used to be much lower. And it was an abrupt change. Like it just came in the new statistics and nobody really knows why it happened because it's data from all the country. But uh, it seems to be happening. People, they are working intensifying things like in, in some regions and we look at in some like when land is expensive like where we live I, we look a lot at milk per hectare like for example if less than 20,000 liters per hectare we're really in trouble here like good farms produce 40 50,000 liters per hectare and you need to be high because there are oranges there are corn there is so, there are there's soybeans and so there's a lot of competition for land also in, not in, the, we're talking about central Brazil. Okay, like he, that, as Marcelo said, like he, if you think about the, the, the Amazon region, that's the frontier region. There's some people going there. I'm amazing. He was in the south of Mato Grosso selling AM, AMPS. That's a beef region, like he, in the middle of the country. It's growing everywhere. But the traditional region is around Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, like dairying has been here for, for a long time. And uh, it's just spreading. And in these regions, like land is not cheap. So that's why confinement's growing and you need to have more cows because to dilute costs and to having a large herd during summer is not easy. So it's a lot of, there are a lot of issues. And uh, some New Zealanders, they came here, they're grazing here, but uh, I don't know if they're doing as good as, as the Brazilians are. <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't use concentrate really well. They, they manage the grass well, but 
usually here you need to be a user of grain because everybody feeds grain. Even the small farmer. The small farmer can feed grain during the dry season when milk price is high. And during the rainy season, he, he turns the cows on pasture. But he uses concentrates at least half of the year. So some calculation needs to be done. Like he, inside corn has grown a lot, hydrated corn, more than high moisture corn. Like some people have been hydrating sorghum also. So to, to change concentrate cost, to really affect concentrate cost. But there's a lot of things to, I think, to learn and to improve. And our industry still needs to get more mature, I think. We have a lot of people, that's the, and a lot of small farmers. I think 80, 80, 80% of the farmers still produce less than 50, 50 liters per day. Okay, mm. so... But those guys, they, they produce only uh, 20, 25% of the milk supply, but they're important as a source of jobs. And okay, that's a different thing for me. Like if you think about there in the United States, it's just food production, it doesn't hire everybody. Right. Everybody's right. in power, but here, no, it's a, it's a very important social activity. And in agriculture is probably the only one because if you go to the soybean industry, it's high tech like in, in any other place. Poultry, swine, the same way you grow poultry anywhere you grow poultry here. But there is, is that this difference. You involve a lot of people, you have the social importance, and, and you need to make nutrition for both. I, I see. Like we have, like I, I, I work a lot with high production cow herds, but because it happened, I, I don't know why, but a lot of people use with small producing herds, work with small producing herds, with crossbred cows, family, farms, and it's completely different. Embrapa, yeah, the, the research foundation of Brazil, has been done a lot of work focusing on these small farmers, like, and there's like important nutrition for them, like sugar, use of sugar cane, the use of hydrated corn, and for the big ones, is it's the same. Like we study the same things, like feed adjectives, like ration formulation and have similar problems, but with a different scenario, like feed prices, milk prices. As Marcelo said, like solids are, every, every dairy plant pays for solid, okay? He said that, People is paid by volume. I, I wouldn't say that. Like in, in some places, this is true, but very few people are paid only on solid. The, the premium for solid is not that high. So, but some they they plants they they they, they like Danone, like they they make it depends on what kind of product they they're making. And but our biggest market share is is, is milk volume. That's why. Some dairy plants uh, still value, don't value a lot, sorry, uh, solid. But that, that, there's always a, that, that, that milk price payment that, that he's shown actually is the one that one of the pays the most. Uh, it's the same, pay more for protein than for fat. That has been the, the story so far. And pay for bacteria, somatic cell count, volume, distance, fidelity to the, to the plant and and, but the, but you don't have a, say, uh, 
no politic to restrict to restrict the entrance of their producers. So like the 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 the, uh, the, the amount of milk in the market can not completely coordinated. So you have depressions in milk price and some like you have months of good price and months of bad price. It's, it's pretty tough in a confinement system. In a grazing system, those guys, they deal a little bit more with that sometimes. For example, when the milk price goes down at the end of the year, during summer, yeah, we have pasture, more people produce milk and people go to the beach and they drink less milk there. Yeah. <laughs> so milk price goes down. Yeah, that's, that's our story. Like schools go on vacation and you go to the beach. You don't drink milk on the beach. <laughs> you change it to beer and to other things. And we, we produce more. Like this is small farmer. They still produce more milk during the rainy season because the pastures are better. So milk price is not constant. And, and, and you need to play with that. But the milk price is higher, highest during the dry season. So a lot of these more technified herds put cows to calf during the dry season. We have we want peak lactation in winter. Like the environment's good, like there is no heat stress, like the it's better for the cows, and milk price is higher and feed cost is lower because it's just after the harvest of soybeans, of corn. So some people try to concentrate calves in, in, in the middle of the year. Okay, like if we produce milk during the rainy season, uh, economically it's very difficult to survive because we want to receive for that milk. Okay? Like there is a, yeah, the, the market is flooded of milk. That's why a grazing system is a complicated system here. If you're, if you're, if you're seasonal here, seasonal here is not a, it's a good word. Like a, a, a small farm is seasonal. But because it doesn't produce enough food for the for the dry season, okay, mm -hmm. it's like it's a, it's not a it's like in New Zealand it's fancy. It is not fancy. Like usually the the industry value produces that produce milk when the market has no milk, and a lot of people try to play with that. Like that's why confinement is growing a lot. Like you, you keep the production more stable and you produce more milk when the market wants that. Cows increase milk yield during winter and they lose milk yield in summer. So, oh. and so it's a market thing also. It's, a, it's, it's very yeah, complex to understand. But the, I, I think the industry is really going to more closed cows, more confined cows, but some people work grazing systems with success, but everybody uses concentrate. Okay? There is no grazing system without concentrate, a seasonal type system. You, you would be completely against the market. You would produce milk when the market does not want milk. Yeah. Um, so I have a question and then I'll check and see if Paula has any more. But um, so this is about reproductive health and he's wondering what is the cost of having an open, an extra extra days open in Brazil? In high producing herds, how many days in milk do cows, are cows when they get inseminated? Is it 80 days or more? And is the reproductive performance a problem in high producing Holstein farms? So kind of three questions wrapped into one there. Yeah, like the, the decision how to breed a cow for the first time is usually after 40 days, 60 days, depends on the farm, it's a decision, the, the voluntary waiting period. Mm -hmm. But I would say a lot of people use 45, 60 days. 
uh, average days in milk in the world. I, I, it's very hard to to make a to generate a cost on how how mo how much I lose by one day more days in lactation. So I think it's a very tough calculation. I, I don't think anybody has done it really precisely here. And, but I would say average days in milk is not uncommon to be like 180, 170. Ideally, I would, I, I would want something around 150. Yeah, mm -hmm. as, as, a, as I said, some people, they, they, they keep more cows here than they keep in the U.S. It's much easier to cow a cow in the U.S. than here. So our days in lactation is usually, I would say, is a little bit longer than, than everybody would desire. You just, yeah. And because of the heat stress at the end of the year, some people, uh, the, the thing, we have heat stress. Yeah? Everybody knows that. But I think a lot of people, they... They don't, uh, they don't put in enough investment in controlling it. I think some farms, they have the heat stress and, and still try to, to deal with that without like yeah, adequate fans, adequate sprinklers, yeah? try to solve with shade only. Yeah? So still have this kind of basic problems yeah? and it can cause a lot of reproductive failure. If you look at the crossbred herds, that's the majority of the cows are crossbred. Like as myself, if you go to the top farms, the, the, the major type of cow is a hosting, but the average cow of the country, the average cow is a crossbred. Those cows are really good in reproduction, like because of they have heterosis, like they're cross mm -hmm. of injuries and taurus. They, they, they have really good health, much less, mastitis, food problems, they're much easier to build. That's why small farmers like them. Okay? Like, or you change the environment and put a high-producing cow, or you put a cow that can deal with the sun, with the chicks, with the, the long yeah, the long distance to the, the pasture every day with sun, yeah, because it happens during summer. Yeah? Like, it's not a temperate country. Like the, not like in New Zealand, you have, a, and the other thing, when you have a good tropical forage we're talking about a 10 cows per hectare okay it's not like two three cows per hectare isn't it as in a temperate forage so the stocking rate is really high you you you, you produce milk per hectare but production per cow is like six thousand liters per year would be i think it's pretty good six thousand per cow times eight cows ten cows yeah? production per hectare is fifty thousand sixty thousand liters per hectare using concentrates not on pasture only it can be pretty efficient, but that's an option. Like uh, the temper of the cow is difficult. The milking rate is low. There's low milkers. That's a big problem in big herds. That's why big herds go for hostings. But like you can have, you can have big herds with crossbreds, but it's not common. Okay? But uh, for small farms, the crossbreds are, are the, the more usual kind of farm, but, and they are very, they have good reproduction. If you look at the mean calving interval of Brazil, it's long. It's about 18 months. Why? Because most of the guys don't, they don't feed the cow as they should. Like these small farms, they, 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 they have really basic problems, like nutrition problems. That's why if you look at the, I think the, the statistics né, of one million farms, number is not good but remember that like 80 percent of these people 
they are working. Right? That's very interesting. The, the, the part of Brazil with the largest number of dairy farmers is the northeast, that dry region with the nice beach. But uh, <laughs> they, they produce only, I, I would say, like 10, 15 percent. I think it's 15 percent of the milk of the country. But it's very important for them. They, they eat cheese every day. It's a, it's, a, it's a habit for them. But it's a lot of small farmers. And... And in, in those very rural areas, you have cows only, like you don't have soybeans and like swine and poultry in the Northeast, you know, in, in many places. You, ha you have dairy cows, goats and sheep. Right? So dairy cows is a, it's a very traditional thing. It's been around for, uh, for a long time, but, but it's changing. Even in the Northeast, you have, you're having bigger herds they have the very potential for grazing because they don't have difference in sunlight. They're close to the equator. If you have irrigation there, you produce grass. I, I, I've seen some farms that they can they graze 12 months per year because you, yeah, as long as you have water. Mm -hmm. So, But in the south, you, you have a, usually a, a cold season and a warm season. In the south of Brazil, you get rain the entire year. So you basically have rain with cold or rain with with hot, so with warm weather. So you can grow tropical grasses and then you grow temperate grasses. They do it a lot in the south, rye grass, alfalfa. Yeah? But the center of Brazil is tropical, so the dry season is really dry and there is no rain, and so we produce one crop per year. Some people too, I, I produce, I, I get two crops without irrigation. Yeah? But with irrigation, you can get three crops. But without irrigation, most usually is one crop of corn, for example, but a very aggressive guy with very good soil management, no plowing and everything, we can get two crops, two corns, one after the other without irrigation. But I wouldn't say it's common, like it, like it, it's, not, it's not that easy. Okay. Like okay. The, uh, I think I have one more um, question and, and then I'll let you go. It's been really great talking with you, but we're on a repro um, role here. So um, what is the cost of insemination? And I'm going to lump all these questions into one. What is the cost of insemination and how many straws do they use per successful ins insemination? And do they use inexpensive semen just to get milk or do they use more costly semen with the eye towards improving their genetics on the farm? And do they use sex semen? Um, I, all these questions occurred to me as well. So thank you. Okay, I'll try to generalize here, but- Yeah, I think I it's gonna be vastly different between the, the farms from what you've said. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically a big difference will be between crossbred and Holstein. Like for Holstein, getting like 2.5 2 to 3 doses per conception is pretty good. Like 30%, 30 conception for at first service would be a pretty good number. In crossbreds, you can use get 50, 55% conception at first service. And services per conception is 1.82. Cows produce much less milk, and they don't have like all the stressors of a high-producing cow, and it's a completely different scenario. And all about the use of semen, 
Like you have more expensive seeming for first and second AI for user for heifers that have higher conception. Uh, sect seeming have been used for heifers also. Some farms use for first lactation cows also, but results not as good as for heifers. But some people have been using, like they do the first AI with sect seeming on first cat and then go for conventional. And so the and the price of the semen depends on a lot of factors, like milk price <laughs> is an issue. Né? Uh, almost totally the semen here is imported. Like Brazilian hosting semen has no importance to us. Like semen comes from the US, from Canada, mostly. Mm -hmm. The Netherlands would be the third source. But more, yeah, more than 50% is from the US. Yeah, the, and the, 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 the breed that sells more, more, more semen is hosting, but not only for hosting, because the crossbred people, they use hosting semen also. Okay. So the, the semen comes from the US, and the issue of cost is like, a, I would say, it depends on what kind of cow you are making the breeding for. It's a, if a high genetic herd, it's a commercial herd. A lot of people have been using for health traits, like everywhere, like for like a DPR of heifers and like a, a longevity proofs, health proofs, like that's the, like we don't see a lot of people looking for big cows and like show type cows as in the past, but I think it's happening everywhere. And basically, our, our seeming cost is more expensive than in the US because we have the importation costs. Okay, so you, you actually need to have a blend, like you have a both for first and second AI, both for third and fourth AI. So have a, which is a, another both for, for heifers that have higher conception can use a more expensive seeming. With it sex, sexed seeming, usually it's for heifers only. That's the recommendation of the dealer if you're using for cows, it's, I think it's your opinion, like right? they they would not support that. Some people have been using only for primiparous cows, that, that I know. And the results reasonable, like, but, but must be a farm with very good management with like a, uh, sanitary aspects, controlled, like environmental control and must be really good to use in cows. Usually it's for heifers, you know? okay. I would say. I don't know if I if I answered like it's a, it's a is that, all right. That, there is no single answer. I, I will say. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I am going to thank everybody that was involved. Um, Marcos, it's always delightful having your input on these. Paula and Paula, again, you guys are troopers. Um, I'm not sure how well that translates, but you're the best. And um, I thank everybody that joined us. This will and is recorded. I will get it processed and upped. I can't promise it um, until after maybe the next 10 days. I've been working on a project for Paula and I'm also have another webinar next Thursday. So thank you, Marcos, for joining us. Um, thank you, Paula. Thank you, Paula. <laughs> and thank you for to all the attendees. Have a good evening and we'll hopefully see you next month. We're going to Russia. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Bye.